Hi, this is Gail Wallace from Restoration Works, Inc. You're listening to Q4 Radio Chicago, 1680 AM and at Q4.org. The Mike Novak Show starts in 3, 2, 1... This is the season. My name is Wednesday. My partner is Frank Jones. The chief is Captain Kellogg. December the 24th, Christmas Eve. They brought in a guy named Grudge. When I heard what they booked him on, my blood ran cold. It was a 409-6325-096704. Not believing in Santa Claus. 4.35 p.m. I was working the holiday watch out of homicide with Frank. Hang up your stock on yet, Joe? Yeah, just before I come down. You too, Frank? Always do. I'm going up early just in case I have to work late tonight. Wouldn't want to miss out when Santa Claus comes, you know. Mm-hmm. Sure wouldn't. Be a shame. What you going to do tomorrow, Joe? What you going to do on Christmas? You got any plans? Nothing much. Why don't you come by the house, Joe? We're going to have Christmas dinner. You know, all the trimmings. Mm-hmm. Turkey, celery stuffing, oysters maybe, chestnuts. Mm-hmm. All the trimmings. Cranberry sauce. Love to have you. Mm-hmm. The missus always fixes a plate of relish with them little carrot sticks. You know, olives, pickles, scallions. Most folks call them green onions, but they're really scallions. Did you ever notice that, Joe? Ever notice what, Frank? How most folks call them green onions, but they're really scallions. Mm-hmm. Scallions. Anytime after two, Joe. Love to have you. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll see. Love to have you. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll see. The missus always fixes a plate of relish with them carrot sticks. You know them little carrot sticks? Mm-hmm. Olives, pickles, scallions. Mm-hmm. Let's not go through that again. Love to have you. Go through what again, Joe? How most folks call them green onions, but they're really scallions. Oh. You notice that too, huh, Joe? <laughs> Live from the Genesis Art Supply Building on North Elston Avenue, just this side of the concrete encrusted banks of the North Branch of the Chicago River, it's the Mike Novak Show, still Chicago's only locally broadcast deep green gardening and environment program, heard every Sunday on Q4 Radio and at MikeNovak.net. doesn't own the word green. He merely rents it for a small fee. Here he is, Mike Novak. Kind of mellow for us, isn't it? Yeah. Just kind of eased into this morning's program. Why not? We got a little snow here, a little frosty, frosty the snowman. It's like, I actually had my dentist the other day talking to me about Smoky Bear and versus Smoky the Bear. Hmm. Mm. Everybody thinks it's Smoky the Bear, but it's Smoky Bear. Smoky Bear, Smoky Bear. Sorry. Hi, Peggy. <laughs> Good, Good morning. morning. And you got here in the snow. In fact, you got here before I did yeah. because you left so early. You were just terrified that you would not get here um, at all. Probably because uh, Snowmageddon. Snowmageddon. Bah, bah. We need we need dramatic music. Oh well, someday. Next week. <laughs> next week. There's, <laughs> all, there's there's always next week. Uh, I mean, I could just uh, wait a second. I could you know if I don't have that. I just play. There you go. That replaces anything. So. One size fits all sound well, effects. <laughs> that's the way it works. Um. Good morning. Yeah, we had snow, and uh, I love the idea that we're 
in the middle of this snowstorm. We're we're in the middle of it right now, and it's going to get, it's going to uh, continue today. Uh, for those of you who are not in Chicago, eh, we had I don't know, maybe three inches of snow last night. Not not exactly overwhelming unless you were driving, uh, and everybody. And you then know, an eighth of an inch of snow. Yeah, really, well. first snow of the year. Everybody, oh my God, slow. And I hey, you know, was out. Oh, go ahead, go ahead. I was going to say, and IDOT's like thrilled because they're dumping tons of salt on everything. Yeah, I know. Good for your plants. Uh, add a little salt to the, uh, uh, what was it? Um, who was the um, uh, uh, Simpsons neighbor, uh, Ned? I think so. Yeah. There's there's one, I just remember, I always wanted to get this clip, and I never had it, uh, and I saw it, uh, and, uh, and he asks uh, Bart, not Bart, um, Homer, Homer Simpson. Uh, and he says, hey, did, I know you had to, to rip up all my, my flowers, but did you have to salt the earth too? <laughs> and, 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 of course, Homer goes, yeah. <laughs> Just like that. And it was apropos of nothing at all except salting the earth, which is what we do in the winter with our stuff. You know what we'll talk to? Uh, we'll talk to Gene Bragdon from Lurvy. Uh, well, it depends. It's Lurvy Garden Center, Lurvy Landscape Supply, Lurvy Center. We have to ask her how she wants to brand herself right now. Uh, she's going to be on at 9.30. We're going to talk plants. Yes, sir, Bob, on the Mike Novak Show. Go figure. Oh, it's, uh, and I'm dinging here. Somebody's uh, uh, on. Someone's getting your attention there. Somebody's getting my attention on the, on the problem. I don't know if it's... Uh, could be on uh, the Twitter machine. I didn't. That, I'm sorry. I didn't put that there for you to look at. I put it there just to get it out of my way. Um, and uh, we'll talk to Gene Bragdon from Lurvy about the holiday plants, how to keep them alive, how to kill them. <laughs> we we got a tweet this morning from Mr. Brown Thumb. Mr. Brown Thumb, what's your problem, dude? Because uh, we wrote uh, that uh, you know, keep poinsettias alive and well this season on Mike Novak show this morning. Mr. Brown Thumb writes on Twitter, he tweets, probably at 3 a.m. He and the president were up at 3 a.m. <laughs> tweeting, president-elect. Oh, that just hurts my soul to say that. It just, it just kills me every time I have to say that. I'm not mentioning his name anymore. I've decided four years I will not mention his name. Totus. Totus. That's our favorite. Yeah, that's what Michelle Hoffman told us last week, that her nine-year-old son had come up with the name Totus. And that's with a D, T-O-A-D-U-S, <laughs> TOTUS. And the T could stand for any number of things. That's right. Uh, Mr. Brownthorne writes at 3 a.m., no, kill your poinsettia. Why do you want to kill your poinsettia, Mr. Brownthumb? I think it, he's, he's got issues. with he was his, Maybe he was frightened as a child by a poinsettia. Mm-hmm. Maybe, I don't know. One of those kind of uh, velvet-flocked plastic ones with the gold glitter all over them, maybe? Could be. Yeah, those are scary. Yeah, they are. They're reason to be scary. Anyway, Gene Bragdon at 9.30. Uh, before that, though, uh, in just a couple of minutes, and we're going to call him uh, Steve Bailey. Bailey? Next time you talk to my wife like that, you'll get worse. Um, Sorry. Uh, he's uh, an ornithologist and avian biologist with the Illinois Natural History Survey. And we're going to talk about the flight of the Sandhill Cranes, which happened over Chicago the other day. The I event. missed. I missed, of course. How come I missed it? I don't even know. I was probably caroling. 
someplace indoors. So what happened there, Peggy? So some reports are saying up to 30,000 sandhill cranes came over the city of Chicago and surrounding area this week, uh, mostly Wednesday. I know I heard a lot of noise inside cranes. Cranes stepped outside, and there's just hundreds and hundreds of cranes going over the lake at that point. It was probably late morning, swirling and making crane noises. And when I was in the city later in the afternoon, Western and Irving, there was a ton of cranes, and Facebook lit up. We put social media up that's well over 4,000 I know. We got like 4,000 views on it over about cranes, which is good. I think that's healthy, actually, that people are sort of paying attention to that. So uh, we'll talk to uh, Steve Bailey about that in just a couple of minutes. And then uh, in the second hour, oh, my goodness, what an amazing story. Um. It's, uh, you know, a lot of you who, who listen to this show regularly have heard us talking about uh, confined animal feeding operations or CAFOs. And we've talked with folks from uh, Illinois Citizens for Clean Air and Water and the Socially Responsible Agricultural Project. Uh, we've talked to Karen Hudson. What you didn't know, there was a little behind the scenes activity for about two and a half years. She got hauled. Well, she she visited. A, well, I, the story is just so amazing. She she was in court and got uh, slapped with contempt citation and fought it in court for two and a half years over something ridiculous. And it shows you the power of the people with money. That means the big ag people and uh, the factory farm people who wanted her Karen, who's kind of... Uh, is unprepossessing. What's the word? Is that is that a word? Did I use that? You know, I don't think that's. I don't know. If that's I don't think word. it is a word. I, what I meant to say is, whatever. She is um, not your average activist. But then maybe there is no such thing as an ac- average activist. She's just a a, a woman who uh, on a farm who decided to fight the issue, uh, fight factory farms because one ended up down the road from her. So, uh, and, and, you know, years later, she's still doing it. And a lot of people, other people do that too. And they're just, they're like you and me. They're average citizens who who have decided to say no and fight for their rights for clean air and clean water. Basically, that's it. And some judge decided he didn't like it. He didn't like it. He didn't like that at all. And we're going to tell the story. Karen Hudson will be here with her attorney, um, Kevin Sullivan out of Peoria. Uh, and we will tell that tale. If you want to read more about that tale, go to my website, MikeNovak.net, because it, it's all there. It's all laid out. Um, uh, you go to uh, this week's show, which is the blog. Go to the blog, and uh, you can read about Karen Hudson, and we'll tell you what happened in court this week. And it happened Thursday, uh, Wednesday, I believe. It's been a busy week. Sandhill Cranes, court cases. Mm-hmm. Stuff like that. So, welcome to, uh, oh, and of course, as always, uh, we want to let you know that uh, you can tweet, tweet to us. You have to wait till 3 in the morning to do it. <laughs> uh, and uh, and then just let loose. Yeah. Um, or you can write to us on Facebook, The Mike Novak Show, or write Mike at MikeNovak.net. That's email. I suppose you can even post on Instagram, like I do that. Um, I'm not, you know, the jury's still out on, on, on Instagram here. We'll, we'll see how that all works out. 
But um, and Mr. DeMaio's joining us later. Oh, too, right. right. And let's not forget we're we're in the middle of Snowmageddon, so Mr. DeMaio will join us um, and tell us uh, what's happening with this snowstorm, uh, because as we mentioned earlier, it hasn't finished. We were talking about the cranes this week, and that's how we came to have Steve on the show. I said, we need to get somebody on. These cranes have just taken off on social media. Everybody's writing about them. Everyone's Is that a pun? Photos. Taken yes. off? Yes, they've taken flight. Um, but what I noticed were a lot of people thought they were geese. Or people said, what is well, that? Well, h- how would folks yeah. know that? Okay. I think we've got uh, uh, Steve there. Steve, are you with us? Yes. We were just about to talk That's about the, um, the Sandhill cranes that flew over Chicago the other day. Uh, for, but before uh-huh. we do this, give us, give us a little background about yourself there, Steve. I'm an avian biologist with the Illinois Natural History Survey. I've been studying birds now for uh, at least professionally for about uh, 25 years or so. Uh, I go out mainly in the summertime and do bird censuses all around the state of Illinois. And then the wintertime, I kind of enter in data and uh, do a little analyzing of data and that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're uh, so modest. I bet you've changed the world, but uh, you, you just don't want to say so. <laughs> I wish. Uh, well, you know, and you've written uh, uh, several books, uh, and you co-author some with your wife, Cheryl DeVore. Um, Birds, mm-hmm. of, Birds of Illinois is still in print, and... Uh, right. What's another book you did with her? The other one, uh, Birding Illinois, which is uh, talking about where you can go to see birds in the state, and we have like over a hundred places that are some of the best bird bird watching sites in the state. Uh, that's been out for quite a while. I don't know. I'm not sure if that's still in print or not, but uh, I think it's still. <laughs> you, you can probably get it on Amazon. Well, well, aren't you? Aren't you? Aren't those royalty checks rolling in at this point? Yeah. You, wouldn't you know? Yeah, I'm getting rich off off all. Yeah, you're getting rich off of birds, baby. Yeah. He's uh, feathering his nest with them. Uh, but, um, oh, thank you very much. Okay. See, I knew you were going to set me up at some point so I could play the rim shot. Got it ready there. Yeah, I, I have it ready. Uh, so, so that's Steve's background. And uh, uh, so let's, uh, let's go to this event that happened this week in Chicago. Um, it. It, it caught the attention of a lot of our social media followers. Uh, it, it seems like it, it, it caught the imagination of a lot of people in Chicago. Why is that, Steve? Uh, I think people just love cranes uh, because they're, they're pretty loud birds. And so when they're, when they're coming over, uh, people notice, and they're big birds, of course. Uh, and it, to me, it's, it's uh, and probably with a lot of bird watchers and probably even with people just in general, it's kind of the, the sound of the wild uh, flying over. I think you, that used to be Canada geese, but Canada geese have become so common, especially in the Chicago area, that uh, there's nothing really wild sounding probably <laughs> to most people about them. But, uh, yeah, unless you're uh, golfing. Cranes, yeah, right. <laughs> um, but with cranes, it's kind of the, the sound of the wild uh, coming over. I look forward to it every year. My wife does. So, uh, But do they... Uh, often fly directly over Chicago in that way? Have we just missed it in the past? Well, Why is it a big deal this year? Well, they uh, they do. Actually, the, the, Chicago, the greater Chicagoland area, they fly over every year in the thousands. Um, and we, at least the bird-watching community is usually aware of it because uh, I belong to a birding listserv on, uh, online. 
and uh, people start reporting them like the days they start coming over and uh, my for myself, when I see that, I can just go out in my driveway and wait a little bit, and usually a flock will fly over because uh, <laughs> I kind of do it in mass a lot of times, especially with the first big cold front that comes through. Mm. But um, they, as far as going over downtown Chicago, they they often don't go right over downtown. So sometimes when they, they actually do that. And that's usually with uh, kind of fairly strong westerly winds. They'll be pushed right up against the lake because they don't like to migrate over the lake. Hmm. But um, when they fly over downtown, that kind of gets a lot of people's attention because I know this happened a couple years ago. Uh, and they, uh, people were uh, seeing them, watching them right out of the skyscrapers, right on uh, like Lake Shore Drive and that kind of thing. So it caught a lot of people's attention that way. And I, I know that at least some were flying over uh, downtown Chicago this time, but um, especially the greater Chicagoland area, they they fly mm-hmm. over like that every year, which is kind of a neat thing because I'm I live most of my life in central Illinois, uh, and really the, uh, you don't get many cranes at all down there, or really over much of, of most of the rest of Illinois. It's kind of a, a greater Chicagoland thing because they they what happens is they get funneled around Lake Michigan, so all these birds coming from vast uh, distances up in Minnesota and uh, south central Canada uh, they all kind of head almost for like the the tip of Lake Michigan because they're kind of wanting to go around Lake Michigan to get to an area in northwest Indiana where they stop at so which is the it's, Jasper uh, it's not pronounced yeah. it's not pronounced Pulaski like it is in Chicago isn't it Pulaski or something yeah. it, it, no it is it is Jasper Pulaski yeah oh it is I, I thought they pronounced it differently down there but I, I guess well, at least at least that's all I've ever heard it uh, called, and I've been—I've uh, known about it for forty years. Okay, long, so. okay. Well, I've been down there, and I've seen them uh, in the fall. It's—it's—it's it's, it's amazing. It's neat. Yeah. Yeah. It really. I, mean, I guess you can do it in the spring as well when they're headed back the other way. Uh, I, yeah, I, you can, but the numbers aren't aren't quite mm-hmm. as big because they uh, they take more time coming and they kind of build up in the fall, whereas in the spring they're kind of in a hurry to get back to their breeding ground so that. The, the numbers there are a lot a lot smaller, comparatively smaller in the spring. So so they they take their time in the fall because they're lazy. They oh come on, hey, <laughs> let's stop for some coffee. Yeah. yeah, yeah, George, we got it. We got a head stop, Gladys. I'm I'm having a good time up here. No, I don't want to go yet. Okay, now come on, George, we got to go south. Let's all. Let's... <laughs> Well, one thing that's kind of neat, uh, they, they just found this out a couple years ago. There was a guy, a kid doing a graduate uh, study up here in McHenry County, and they were putting radio transmitters on some of the cranes, and so they were, they, they were kind of wanting to see where they were going. Um, and they found out that uh, there were a few of these cranes that were flying all the way from the Chicagoland area down to Jasper, Pulaski, and then they'd fly back to the Chicago area, and then they'd fly back to Jasper Plasky, and they'd uh, do that three or four times. Huh. And nobody had hmm. nobody had any idea that they were uh, doing this because uh, cranes are, are strong flyers, and unlike a lot of birds, they can just if, if things get bad, they can just pick up and leave and, and go wherever they want about any time. So, wow, maybe they had theater tickets. Or something like that. I have no idea. <laughs> the Wi Fi is better here. That's, That's it. it. It's the Wi Fi. Yeah. Well, one of my questions, Steve, is you know, I was reading a lot that the crane populations have been coming back 
um, that they were mm-hmm. endangered and threatened and then delisted. So are we tending to see more because there actually are more? Or are they changing their yes, flight patterns? They, they are, there are more. Um, they're still not real common because we're kind of at the uh, – the, the reason why they were listed as endangered uh, was because we're on the southern edge of their nesting boundary. Um, but the, even their nesting numbers have been building up the last uh, several years here in the northern tier counties of Illinois, especially in the Chicagoland area. This is one of the few areas in the state where they uh, do nest and raise mm-hmm. young. So their numbers have been building up. It's kind of a spillover from Wisconsin because they're a lot more numerous as a breeding bird in, in uh, the state of Wisconsin and Minnesota. Um, but they are they actually are one of the or they are the most numerous crane uh, in the united states and in the world there's 15 species of cranes worldwide and um, the sandhill cranes are by far the most common that's not to say that they they weren't rare at one time the uh, greater sandhill cranes which is what ours are there's also a lesser sandhill crane the greater sandhill cranes got down to probably less than a thousand birds, wow. uh, and now now they're up over a hundred thousand. So they're they're kind of a success story that way. But mm-hmm. they're just one of the birds that got kind of hunted to death. <laughs> um, huh. For that's so uh, odd. We we time. don't we don't do anything like that here uh, uh, in this uh, country or uh, on this yeah. planet. Uh, oh. I was actually, and it was really strange because I was reading again on the cranes and watching some YouTube videos um, of is it Jim Jensen? Is that his name for the uh, the biologist yeah, I've heard that at name. Jasper Pulaski? And he said because the numbers are getting so high that different states are now going to be opening up crane seasons. Kentucky's already yes. approved it. All right, get the guns out. And it's like, wait yeah, a minute, the, the population the just got back. They actually have had, I, I believe, bills or things up in both Kentucky and Wisconsin, uh, or they've been discussing that, about opening up a, a uh, hunting season. And, uh, you know, some of these areas are they're kind of just, you know, getting back to the numbers, and, and the, the, I, I think the hunters just can't wait. Yeah, don't worry. Are. We'll knock them back I, I, down again. We'll take care of the problem. Yeah, we, yeah exactly. that's right. We got too many darn was, cranes out here. Yeah, I was told that there that sandhill cranes are kind of the stake of the bird world as far as e- eating wise. I, I have a friend that's uh, he's a bird scientist, but he's also a hunter. Uh, it's kind of interesting, but uh, he's actually hunted them, and they they're, are apparently delicious to eat. Hmm. So I've, I've heard they I, taste I, like chicken. <laughs> probably <laughs> that's probably chicken or turkey, I would guess. But, yeah, maybe uh, right, yeah. maybe turkey. So, Steve, yeah. what, what, one other quick question dealing with cranes. Mm-hmm. Um, so a couple of reports also said there were some whooping cranes coming through Chicago, and their numbers are really low. Why have they not come back while the Sandhills have? Well, they, they have come back. It's just that they got down. Uh, their numbers were down to 21 birds in 1941, and they are up over like four or 500 birds at this point. I think actually counting the birds uh, in captivity, it's uh, over 600 birds. So they have come back. It's just not as quickly as the Sandhills because uh, their numbers were so low. And it took a captive breeding program even to get them that, uh, uh, get them back that well. Because it's a, you know, it's kind of a long life cycle. Cranes uh, only usually lay or have two young per Mm -hmm. year. 
Uh, and, you know, there's going to bound to be natural mortality. But unfortunately, with the whooping cranes, every year it seems like you read about uh, some, some, somebody somewhere has shot uh, one or two whooping cranes somewhere. And I, I don't know if it's that they're mistaking them because some of them try to say that they're mistaking them for snow geese and uh, even swans where they can hunt swans. But uh, to me, it's kind of hard to mistake a, a bird that's five foot tall and white uh, out in the, standing out in the field uh, mm-hmm. for a, a snow goose because they're often standing in a field when they're shot. But um, hmm. Well, uh, listen. Oh, by the way, that's Steve Bailey. He's an ornithologist. Uh, avian biologist with the Illinois Natural History Survey. Um, you know, you were talking about the, the whooping cranes and, and how the numbers got so low. We talked about this in terms of the bison uh, a few weeks ago. Um, and, and the bison now, there are some at Medewin National Tallgrass Prairie. Uh, but one of the questions I had for our experts that day was about the bottleneck. When you get so mm-hmm. few species... Don't you have a problem with the with the gene pool? And uh, what are the concepts? Yes, you do. And well, that that's the thing. What, uh, there's sometimes of some species you get to a bottleneck, and basically anything you try to do is not going to help because uh, uh, genetically wise, they just can't reproduce uh, and uh, and and thrive. Uh, one of those uh, uh, problems that we're probably going to have. Uh, if we're not already having already, is with the greater prairie chicken. Uh, Illinois still has a population of those, but basically all the uh, at this point all the prairie chickens in Illinois are not from Illinois stock. Up until about 10 or 15 years ago, there were still some prairie chickens in Illinois with uh, Illinois genes, um, but uh, pretty much all those have now died out. And most of our greater prairie chickens are now from stock that's being brought in from uh, states like Kansas and the Dakotas. They've actually been bringing in birds uh, to, to breed and reproduce. And I, I think the, uh, the, the problem now is that they're just going to have to keep doing that uh, because they, they just can't get the population built up even with those. And it's probably going to be a continuing problem with the greater prairie chickens all over their range because those those are actually still hunted uh, because there's still thousands of them out west, but most of the populations even out west now are starting to decline. And uh, to me, I don't understand why they just don't stop hunting prairie chickens. So they're still hunting them? Uh, well, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, that's – yeah, we, well, we, we have like six or seven. Don't worry, I'll bag one. Uh, what is what is wrong with people? I, I don't get I that. Don't know. I, I You know, there's – Obviously, two types of people in the world, those who have the imperative to kill other living things and others that do not, or at least, you know, uh, go out on their own and kill other living things. I mean, obviously, uh, I'm an omnivore, so I eat things that have been killed, um, mm-hmm. you know, mass, but generally they're, 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 not in, the, prairie chickens. they're in the billions. Um, yeah, I'm not, that's the thing. I'm not against hunting. I, I know that there's good reasons. I mean, we need to thin out the deer herds sure. and, and that kind of thing. But to me, some of these things are, that are declining fairly rapidly and things that we really don't need to be hunting. I mean, there's plenty of things to hunt. Uh, we can let go, let go of a bunch of non-native pheasants, and hunters love to hunt pheasants. Uh, but to me, some of these things that are especially beautiful birds, uh, like the cranes, like the sand, the, the people that want to hunt the sandhill cranes. I, I don't understand 
how when you see some of those fly over and yeah. listen to them that you can turn around and, and shoot shoot and kill them. I mean, it's there's just some things like that that, that seems like how can you kill them? You know, they're such a beautiful animal. And, and then and then there are animals like uh, the bobcat, which is uh, also a source. Oh, that's, yeah, that's a, another thing. A that's source of controversy incredible. in Illinois because mm-hmm. there are people. Yeah. That, you know, there, the there are folks out there who feel that if it's a predator, it needs to go. And I. You know, you're you're messing yeah. you're messing with the uh, with the ecology, folks. When you when you take away yeah, those predators, then, then when things build up and, and explode, and there's problems that way, they wonder why that is. And it's uh, to me, I, I love the the predators and and even the coyotes, uh, and I'd love to see wolves drop back. And actually, some of the predators are are starting to come back. There's been uh, records of wolves and black bears and cougars in Illinois the last mm-hmm. several years. All right, um, but I, but I, yeah, but I don't know, you know. Depending on how those populations keep coming, uh, you know, who knows how they're going to treat them. I know a lot of people want to kill them, but um, yeah, that's. Uh, I mean, with coyotes, uh, uh, I I deal with uh, a lot of private landowners in the summer doing my bird surveys, yeah. and um, the coy- I've heard coyotes get blamed for mm-hmm. everything, every kind of yeah, everything, and, and it's. It's partially true because they are smart animals, but then again, they, you know, you got to leave some habitat for them, and and that's often a, a, a big problem with things. Although, as well. although Steve, what I will say is uh, the coyotes are all around us uh, in the city, in the suburbs, in the country. We don't even know it. Uh, and, uh, oh, I know, yeah. they are, they, as you said, they're smart and they're crafty. They, they stay well hidden most of the time. Every, every now and then one pops out and then there's a big to do because it, you know, it walked into a Seven Eleven, uh, you know, on rush street, but, uh, other Everyone than hides their chihuahuas. Yeah. Uh, the amazing thing about coyotes is, uh, the, the more you kill and the further down you knock them back. They they rebound even more aggressively and, and larger because they wind up have each, each coyote pair winds up having more pups because uh-huh. there's more food available to them. So their numbers actually rebound and, and they can come back in bigger numbers than what they were before you started killing them. So the coyotes shall inherit the earth. All right, uh, we got one more. Yeah, probably. Pe- yeah, Peggy's got a question before we have to let you go. All righty. So. Steve, you do these owl prowls as well, and you've got one coming up January 20th at Thatcher Wood in River Forest. Mm-hmm. What happens in the owl prowls? Well, I give uh, talks and, and show people, uh, uh, give them a slideshow about all the owls that you can see in Illinois, and then afterwards we go out and try to find a few owls. Mm-hmm. Uh, oftentimes I can find a, an owl called the Eastern Screech Owl, which is a small owl, but they're they're really common. You can find them just about anywhere, so I, I take them out and... Uh, you usually can call one of those in, um, but the, the ones I like to call in are one of the larger owls, which is a, a common owl over virtually all of Illinois except the greater Chicagoland area, which hmm. is kind of the opposite of the cranes. Um, but they're very inquisitive and or aggressive owls, But so they'll, if you make their call, they'll come right in generally, and um, it's kind of a neat call. Um, uh, it sounds like, who cooks for you, who cooks for you all? And I could do a do a rendition of that if you got have time. Oh yeah, oh, are please. you kidding me? Of course, everybody be quiet so we can record. It's a shame you're not in the studio because then we would really do yeah. a recording here. I could blast you out if I was there, but I'll, I'll set it down and and hopefully you can hear this. I'll try to I'll try not to blast you out, and hopefully it won't be too far away. All so right, here we here's here we go. 
Did you hear that? Uh, kind of. Kind of. What happens if you do it into well, the phone? I'll, let's try it in the phone. All right, okay, here we I go. I just didn't want to blast you out. Okay, here we go. <laughs> That's great. Did that one come through? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. All right. Oh, oh, my goodness. An owl just flew out on the ledge here. Right, <laughs> it was funny. While I was waiting for you to, to, to call, I was sitting here, and a cooper's hawk flew right into our uh, close to our front mm-hmm. window and sat in the bushes. Uh, it was, I, I'd never have one do that. It was, it was kind of neat. Your reputation precedes you, sir. <laughs> uh, that's <I> guess. <laughs> Steve Bailey. You know, you got to be on our show again. Come on in person sometime, and we'll uh, we'll geek out on birds. How's that? Well, that sounds good. Yeah, I got. I got all. I've never been accused of not having anything to say. So that's, I, I've always got a opinion about something, and I know a little bit about. Uh, all, all nature, I and think. I, and so, I bet a story birds. or two along the way as well. Oh, uh, yeah, lots of snake stories. Lots of uh, ooh, snake stories. Like that as well. Ornithologist and avian biologist Steve Bailey with the Illinois Natural History Survey. Uh, if folks want to contact you, uh, where, what's the best way to do that? Probably by email. Um, I, 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 my email is sdbailey at illinois.edu. And I'd be glad to answer anybody's questions on birds, and, and hopefully I can answer about about anything they come up with. Is that S D as in dog Bailey? D as in dog, yeah. Okay, S D Bailey at uh, again at what? Illinois at, at Illinois. Edu. At Illinois. Edu. Steve, it was a pleasure uh, talking to you this morning. Let's do it again soon. Sounds good. Uh, it was a lot of fun. All right. Enjoy, enjoy your snowy Sunday. <laughs> Thanks, Steve. I love snow. I, I will. <laughs> All right. Take care. Uh, now, it's the 11th of December, and if you're not panicking yet, you're not paying attention. No, no, no. I'm not talking about, you You know, the orange guy. I'm talking about coming up with the perfect gift for the perfect person in your life. My advice Keep it simple. Give the gift that keeps on giving all year long. Chicagoland Gardening Magazine. There are great articles, fabulous photos, tips, calendars, and more. There's even a guy named Mike Novak who writes a column on the inside back page. Now there's somebody you don't want to meet in a dark alley. Chicagoland Gardening Magazine, or maybe a dark backyard, a dark garden. Chicagoland Gardening Magazine, a publication of state-by-state gardening magazines. Go to chicagolandgardening.com. But if you're in other parts of the Midwest or the South, try one of the 21 magazines in those regions by going to statebystategardening.com or call 888-265-3600, 888-265-3600. You know, this is the time when a lot of folks start to get serious about holiday gift shopping. And if you have a gardener in your life, boy, oh boy, do I have a gift for you. Welcome to Happy Leaf LED. It's a commercial quality LED grow light that's designed for anybody who likes to grow anything. Lightweight, uncomplicated, no fans, no motors, just plug it in. And it's long-lasting, too, with a 50,000-hour minimum lifespan. You can use it for seed starting, but who knows what you're capable of growing under this light. This all-purpose LED with precisely tuned red and blue spectrum allows the full range of plant growth. The Direct Gardening Association has already given Happy Leaf LED their 2017 Green Thumb Award. And it's made in the USA. I already have one myself, and Mike's got a couple as well. So get it for a friend, get it for yourself. Go to happyleafled.com for complete kits that will get you up and growing in a matter of minutes. 
Happy Leaf LED, it's about the light. Looking for a housing investment that can pay big dividends? Remodel your kitchen or bathroom. You'll freshen up your home and add value to it, too. Trust DR Services Unlimited, 847-998-1687 for all your remodeling needs. Kitchens, bathrooms, master suites, and more. Rated A-plus by the Better Business Bureau and recommended on Angie's List. DR is a proud member of NARI. DR provides exceptional quality at a fair price. Contact DR at 847-998-1687 or at RestoreTheNorthShore.com. Hey, this is Peggy. When I speak at local events, people often ask me, aren't you the Peggy in the Natural Awakenings ads? And that makes me happy because it reminds me that Chicagoans want to live healthier lives. And Natural Awakenings magazine helps them do just that. Natural Awakenings, it's the greenest, healthiest magazine in the Chicago area. Each month, we bring you the latest information about health and wellness, complementary medicine, fitness and exercise, raising healthy kids, and even healthy pets. You'll find articles about healthy homes, too, including gardening, energy efficiency, and green living. And if you love good food, you'll always find tasty recipes and cooking hints. Check out our monthly calendar. It's full of events to help keep you connected. Natural Awakenings is available in more than 1,100 locations throughout Chicago and suburban Cook, Lake, and McHenry counties. And it's free. Or visit us online at nachicagonorth.com. Natural Awakenings. Feel good. Live simply. Laugh more. This is Suzanne Malik McKenna for Chicago Wilderness. When you think of our region, wilderness may not be the first thing that comes to mind. Did you know this area is home to more than half a million acres of protected nature with thousands of plants and animal species? Our local native wildlife need your help. Now is the time. 12 Animals in 12 Weeks is a campaign to get support for these critical species and their habitats. Sponsor one today. Meet the species at chicagowilderness.org slash species. Bringo. Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, see you soon. Oh, uh, lots of luck and uh, many presents and uh, happy Crimble. That's uh, all, I think. All I want for Christmas is a beetle. Not a teddy bear, just a beetle. They're not all exactly the same. Uh, well, some of them didn't leave behind a legacy of some Christmas songs that you uh, are the ones that you don't want to hear uh, during the holidays. But and they never recorded "Happy Crimble." Uh, happy, Happy Crimble. Happy right. Crimble. Um, let's see if uh, Jean Bragdon is on the line with us. How you doing, Jean? You there? I'm here. Good morning, Mike. Good morning, Gene. Gene is uh, operations manager. At, okay, now this is the the tricky part. Where uh, do I say Lurvy Landscape uh, Supply, or do I say uh, Lurvy Garden Center, or do I say Lurvy Center? Um, or Lurvy Landscape Supply and Garden Center. What what what, yeah, what do you want we're today? We're gonna go with that. <laughs> Which All one? Of All of the above. Okay. Um, L Center. Yeah. The, the, the L, L the L Center, right there you go, um, and uh, if you guys, if you folks listening, have not been up to Lurvy recently, it's if it's as if you guys uh, are on steroids or something uh, in the last few years. That that place has just 
gone nuts. You've you've taken that parcel of land and you've created buildings and you've got uh, atriums and conservatories in there. And I was in the conference room, which is so cool. Um, you know, a few weeks ago, uh, it's just amazing, Gene. Um, what uh, what? How did this transformation happen? Well, we've spent a long time planning for this. Uh, I think good planning is the secret, and um, you know, of course, it's timing. So, uh, when we remodeled in two thousand, uh, we converted uh, the previous owner's home to the garden center store. Um, since then, we've been talking about building a new garden center, and uh, here we are 16 years later, and uh, we made it happen. So it's all part of the master plan. <laughs> and I bet you had something to do with the master plan. Yes, I've, um, I've been privileged to, um, you know, contribute to, uh, you know, the, the growth at Lurvie's and in my small way, and uh, we're really excited that we've got you know, a great retail center that's there for contractors as well to bring their customers and utilize um, the facilities and the displays about the products and everything. So it really is a building and a facility for all of our customers. Yeah, well, I'm talking uh, basically right here about the uh, the, the center at uh, 2550 Dempster Street in Des Plaines. It's right off of 294. It's so easy to get to. Uh, but you've got, um, as you, you, you as you mentioned, it's not just for the retail customer. It's landscapers as well. And you've got several other locations out there right now. Where are those? Uh, our other locations are uh, primarily for contractor only. Uh, mm-hmm. They're really kind of geared that way we have one up in park city uh which is the gurney area our other location is in volo which is right near wakanda on route 12 we have um a smaller place out in arlington heights right off of 53 and palatine road all right so now we got all that out of the way we got the pr stuff out of the way we know where to find her now that's right uh, but the reason Jean's here is uh, so we can talk some plants uh, this morning, and obviously it's the holiday, and people buy holiday plants, uh, and and you have a ton of them there. Um, I want to say uh, a quick shout-out to um, Annie in California, who's probably growing poinsettias in her backyard, um, and but that's one of the plants that's out there. Um, and uh, actually, we had somebody... Uh, tweet this morning gene about how he dislikes uh, poinsettias but that's not uh, the uh, usual way people react to poinsettias at this time of year is it i uh, no, it's definitely uh the plant is associated with holiday and uh and cheer so i'm surprised to hear that huh. <laughs> well you know yeah okay maybe he's afraid that it's poisonous because there's that myth has been going around for a long time that, you know, if you have a poinsettia, your cat's going to eat it and drop dead. Um, and it's really not true. Uh, one of the things I've learned over the years doing this show is that poinsettias, you know, they're, they're a euphorbia. As, um, and, and Gene, maybe, you know, you, well, you know, because you work in the business, that there's lots of different types of euphorbias in the world. A lot of things that people grow in their houses that they think are cactuses or cacti 
are euphorbias, really. Um, and uh, the poinsettia plant, or as I've been known to call it, ponzetter, the ponzetters. Ponzetter? Ponzetter. Yeah, we had, well, see, okay, this goes back to when I was working at Progresso Radio. And we had this argument about, is it pronounced poinsettia or poinsettia? How do you go with it, Jean? I say poinsettia, but when I say it quickly, I think the ia <laughs> kind of disappears. Uh, you're, you're or head- <laughs> for short, we call them points. Uh, a but, point? Uh, is that what you call them? <laughs> well, yes. I, I like yes. I like Ponzetter, and then you don't get into any of that at all, okay? Okay. <laughs> all right, now, what do folks need to know, A, about buying a, a, a Ponzetter, um, you know, getting it home intact, getting it uh, where, to, where to put it uh, at home, and how to keep it alive? It's, it's, that's not too difficult, is it, Gene? It is not too difficult. Uh, you know, if you look at the poinsettia plant uh, to enjoy it just for maybe a month or so during the holiday season, you can almost put it in whatever location looks best in your home to um, <laughs> to match your decor because it's really, if you're looking at it that way, it's just for short term. So you don't have to be... Uh, worry too much about light and so forth. But if you want it to last as long as it possibly can and go well into the the winter season, um, I would certainly give it bright light, uh, not necessarily direct sun, but bright light, and just water it when it gets dry. Don't let it stay dry, but water it when it does get dry, and it should be happy for a long time. Um, You know, and of course, keep it away from any sort of cold drafts not don't let the heat vent just blow directly on it um, or put it where it's going to get blasted if the front door opens but other than that it'll just be very happy yeah but you know that's what you said just now that's always the problem uh that folks um they put it by a door they put it by a vent um they put it in direct sunlight uh all the things that you mentioned don't do and then they overwater because now, I assume that your plants, are when they buy them there, there's like a lot of places, there's foil around the pot at the bottom. Do you sell them like that or do you sell them without? Uh, yes, with, with pot covers, with uh, no, right. mm-hmm. like a little, yep. And what happens is people uh, water those and the water sits there. And the, the plant starts to droop and they think, oh, I, I haven't watered it enough. So they water it some more, uh, and they kill it. And eventually the whole plant just falls off because it rotted. Yes, exactly, because the roots rotted. And you said, Gene, you know, water it when it's dry. And folks don't even know, a lot of folks don't even know how to figure out when the plant soil is dry. And, and I'm sure what you suggest is put your finger in the soil and see if it's dry. <laughs> that is exactly <laughs> what I recommend. Yeah, uh, but you have to, if you're going to buy them with the foil, be careful. You know, yeah, I understand that you want to have that decorative uh, part of the plant so it looks great. Um, but you also have to then pay attention to how you're watering it and whether the water's getting out. So uh, the, the, it can be tricky. And then what happens is, of course, they take the foil off at some point 
or maybe they never do. I got a feeling that some people never take it off, but let's say you do. Um, and then the plant dries out because there's, it's not holding the water, and then they don't water it for two or three months, and then the leaves fall off, and they go, well, what happened to my poinsettia? <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's like any plant. It, it just needs enough water to keep going. Uh, and, and, of course, if you do it right, you can plant it outside in the summer. It doesn't necessarily mean it's going to give you the red leaves, which are, are bracts, actually, folks. The, the, that part of the plant is a bract. Um, we had uh, back at the old uh, station I was at one year, Gene, I, I, I got my listeners to try to get their old poinsettias to, to not rebloom but to turn color. We called it the Great Bractoff. <laughs> Um, and, <laughs> and, and the way you do that is you basically you stick it in a closet for 14 hours a day. Um, um, but now let me ask you about that. Where do you get your poinsettias from? We get them locally here. Uh, we try to support, support our, uh, local growers. So, um, they're coming from greenhouses within, you know, a hundred miles. Oh, that's good. Um, and, yeah, and and of course, um, it's in terms of origin, uh, it's a tropical. It's basically, I think uh, there's there you can find them growing on hillsides in Mexico, um, and, and other places. But uh, so anything? Oh, um, anything else you want to say about the poinsettia care feeding and myths? Anything you want to bust or anything else you want to say about poinsettias? Well, it's just that they're. Um you know, they have been given a bad rap, and I definitely suggest taking it home and, and you know, getting one, enjoying it, and, uh, you know, plan on just at least caring for it through the holidays, and it's okay to discard it, move on to something else, and some other wonderful other house plant and bring new life into your, <laughs> well, into you your know, home in the winter. You know so, what I would say um, about that, Gene? What I would say is if you're, if you're going to treat it that way and, you know, just for the holiday and then you're going to, as you say, discard it, I would say compost it so at least it ends up in the compost pile, right? Yes, yes. Well said, Mike. <laughs> I, I, uh, I was thinking compost because that's what I would do, but yes. Yeah, not everybody would, enough. yeah. Right, so t- take the foil off, take it out of the pot, Put it in the compost pile. Okay, so there's 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 our poinsettia. Uh, by the way, I want to say uh, hi to Celesta1013, who says it's uh, snowy here, enjoying the show and coffee. I'm so glad you're listening. Uh, we're talking to Gene Bragdon from uh, Lurvy Garden Center in uh, Des Plaines on Dempster Street. Um, where should we go next? Trees? Yeah, let's talk trees because everybody wants their Christmas tree. Um and you've got all kinds of different types. Do you have a favorite by any chance, Jean? I do. Uh, my favorite is Fraser fir, which is uh, we sell. You know, ninety percent of what we sell is Fraser fir. Really? Uh, hmm. They they hold their needles. They uh, they're sturdier. When you hang ornaments on them, the branches are just a little heavier, and they can support heavier ornaments. Um, they don't drop needles as readily, and uh, they have the—they're a nice deep green and a, a nice silver undertone underneath the needle. So um, that's my favorite. Now that's hasn't that changed? Do do tastes in, in Christmas trees change over the years? I know you've been in the business a while. Have you seen it shift? Because I seem to remember when I was a kid, I think balsams were really popular when I was a kid. 
Um, I don't remember Frasier Furs as much. It seems like that's a more recent trend. Do you agree, or am I wrong about that? Uh, yes. In probably over the last five, six years, it's shifted more to Frasier's. Um, balsams, um, a lot of times the needles are flatter, and it's not they're not as three-dimensional. They do seem to, balsams, be more fragrant than, uh, ah. than the Frasier's itself. But uh, um, either one of them are, are both wonderful. <laughs> Since you've got them both, <laughs> yes. And, and what other, what other uh, uh, types of trees do you have? As far as fresh-cut Christmas trees, those are the only two that we have. Ah, okay. Um, but we carry all kinds of other fresh-cut greens um, in bunches and so forth so that you can make uh, use them in winter containers. And, you know, there's a, a different selections of textures for the foliage and so forth. So, mm-hmm. But the trees, just the two. Uh, well, that's fine with me. Um, and I did go, uh, I visited you, uh, several weeks ago and got some of those fresh greens and I got some, uh, dogwood twigs and I got some, uh, berry plants and I put together my own containers out front and they, and to this morning they look lovely because and there's the snow. snow on them. Yeah. That's what you wait for. You wait for that first snow. So mm-hmm. then your containers, they rock. And and I actually managed to get my Christmas lights up yesterday at 4 p.m. as the snow was starting to fall. Very nice. Yeah, so that's all done. Oh, yes. Yeah, timing is everything, isn't yeah. it? Uh, so, I, well, I had <laughs> I a question for Jean. Okay, go ahead. So keeping with the, the theme of the greens, holiday wreaths. You bring the wreath home. It looks lovely. It's on the front door. And they start just because they're on the door, they're in the cold, they get the snow blowing. How do we keep our wreaths fresh through the season as opposed to looking really bad in about two weeks? <laughs> Ooh, well, it depends, you know, if your front door is protected or wherever you're hanging it. If if it's really right out in the elements or depending on the weather we have, sometimes if it's facing south and it's warm. Um, facing you know, northeast it, it may... in my case. <laughs> okay, and protect it underneath a um, a little overhang or something. A little bit, it, yeah. A little bit. So, you know, a lot of times the, you know, if you have a bow on it and there's snow and sun and ice, it it, it is going to look a little bit beat up. It's hard to keep that fresh looking, but um, the secret would be to really put it in a in a spot where it's got a little bit more protection. Now, um, there is a spray. A lot of times, um, you know, you can spray with Wilt Proof is a product, Wilt Stop, same thing, uh, to keep the greens, the needles, and things uh, fresher a little bit longer. Mm -hmm. And so when you purchase the wreath, you can get the spray, and it kind of just coats it a little bit so that it keeps the moisture inside the needles. And um, that's that's one of the secrets. Aha. Okay. See, you got your secret there. You there. Go. All right. Now, about uh, keeping trees hydrated, what's the secret for that? Because obviously you don't want your tree to get uh, dry. That's a danger. Uh, and it's just unattractive, and it loses its smell. They all lose their smell after a while because uh, obviously they've been cut. They've been severed from the roots. Um, but uh, what do you tell people about keeping trees hydrated? 
Well, we have a product called Prolong, which is um, it's similar in the little kind of when you buy a bunch of cut flowers where you get the little package to keep them fresher that you put in the water. So Prolong is in the same respect that you put in the water for the Christmas tree to take it up. And uh, it is, um, you know, it's only a couple dollar item, but uh, that is definitely always helpful and and if you haven't used it or it's too late just the the bottom line is definitely keep your tree hydrated that is a secret a lot of times when we buy our christmas trees if it was a a rainy year or a, a, a year wherever they're coming from um, if, they, if the trees come in really hydrated they last a lot longer on their own um, but you know, adding Prolong um, into the water of your Christmas tree stand is definitely an aid that will help it keep it fresh even longer. What have you heard about these uh, these home remedies, like putting in a can of Seven uh, Up or an aspirin or any of that stuff? Have you heard of those things, Gene? I have heard of those things, but Mike, I can't tell you if they've worked or not. I. Um, I haven't been on the other end or no one's come in and told me they've sworn by it by it or anything. So um, I can't support or deny. Do you have <laughs> well, any experience with that? Uh, well, you know, the research I've done over the years, uh, I don't know about your prolong because that's that's new to me. But for this other stuff, from what I've heard, those are just goofy. That the best thing you can do is if you buy a tree – even if it's cut, cut it again. Take another inch off of it. I don't know, inch or two, whatever, uh, so that you expose the trunk uh, and it will uh, suck up the water. And then you immediately get it into water. You know, you cut it and zam, put it right in. Uh, and that's the best thing is, you know, get it hydrated quickly and then just keep it hydrated is is what I've heard. Um, and that the other stuff is, is like I said, a little goofy. Um, now, but that being said, uh, and the last thing I'm going to hit you with, and I will tell folks that if, uh, that's uh, Gene Bragdon from uh, Lurby Garden Center in Des Plaines. Uh, if you don't like poinsettias, if you don't like the traditional stuff, they have all kinds of great indoor plants that are colorful. You know, one of the things I would recommend folks get is a bromeliad because um, those last forever and they're wonderful colors. Wouldn't you agree, Gene? Yes, absolutely. Um, a bromeliads are, and they're so easy to take care of. They yeah. just kind of do their own thing without right. a lot of care. You, basically, you don't, you almost don't have to water them. You put water, and you can put water in their little, they hold water in their, uh, I don't know if it's the blooms or the leaves, wherever, this little cup areas mm -hmm. where they, they hold the water, which is really cool. Uh, or a ZZ plant. I think ZZ plant is like the easiest plant to grow ever. Um but the thing that – and I tried this – I asked people about this last year, and I didn't get a real answer. So I'm, I'm going to do the stump the Gene Bragdon question here, um, which is I'm going to cut a juniper from my backyard that is in the wrong place, uh, Juniperus virginiana, which is, you know, your common juniper that pops up all over the place in the landscape. Um, it's now about nine feet tall. Um, and I'm going to cut it up, uh, you know, a little bit so that it's not that tall. 
and I'm going to slam that in water and bring it in. We're going to hang lights on it, and um, and I'm just going to see whether that will actually work as a Christmas tree. Have you ever heard of anybody doing that, Jean? I haven't, but I love the idea. Uh, I I think, you know, the secret to that is how many um, stronger branches on the inside will you have to hang ornaments on, but I think it's going to make a beautiful Christmas tree. If you put lights on it outside, it would look just as nice. So yeah, that's true. I think that is a great idea. Um, and if you find next year that, you, you know, because juniper, we sell juniper in bunches and so forth, yeah. uh, would be great uh, to put in containers or, you know, make a door swag from any any of those excess branches that you cut off of that can be useful as well. I did that last year. Actually, I, I started cannibalizing it last year because I thought I was going to cut it last year, and then I didn't get around to it. So I took a bunch of branches off, so it's, uh, it looks a little <laughs> odd now. But this year I'm going to limit up, and I'm going to cut it to about, I don't know, four or five feet tall, put it in uh, a stand, uh, put the lights on it, and we'll see. And I think I'm the grand experiment. I even talked to, to Rich Air at Rich's Fox Willow Pines, in Woodstock, and I said, "Have you ever heard of anybody doing this?" And he said, "No." So uh, I've not. <laughs> I think you're going to have to post photos. I, I am. I'm definitely going to post photos. Uh, so I'm going to give it a shot, and we'll see how what this experiment looks like afterward. Because these things grow in your yard all over the place; they pop up everywhere, and a lot of people just they get rid of them. Uh, and this one's in the wrong place. It's next to the sidewalk. It's it's overgrowing the sidewalk. So now I got to cut it down. It just popped. You know, a bird pooped it out, obviously. And it and you know, ten years later, it's nine feet tall. Um, and so I'm just going to make it my Christmas tree, and we'll see how that works. So, uh, Gene, I will give you the results of that experiment uh, when I've done it. Well, thank you, Mike. I'm looking forward to that, and I'm sure. Um, it really comes down to being creative, and uh, <laughs> beauty is in the eye of the beholder. So I think it's going to be great. I have no doubt. I have faith in you that you're going to make it just be beautiful and awesome, and you'll be happy with it. Boy, are you deluded. So. Okay. Uh, that's Jean Bragdon. If you want to go to Lurvy Garden Center, and I think you should, 2550 Dempster Street in Des Plaines. It's Lurvy's with an S. Lurvy's, you don't need an apostrophe. You just go to Lurvy's.com. Um, I've got photos of it on my website, MikeNovak.net. Go to this week's show, and you'll see their beautiful new conservatory and some of those indoor plants we were talking about, um, and some of the Christmas decorations as well, uh, which I stole from your website. I figured you wouldn't mind, Gene. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, go in and stop in and say hi to Gene and say you heard her on the show and, and, and get some cool holiday stuff. And the good news is now that you've got – you know, you've turned yourself into a destination. You're open year round, right? Yes, we are. We are so excited to be open year round. Um, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, it's a big yes. Okay, everybody head over there. G and I will talk to you very soon. You have a great snowy Sunday, okay? All right, Mike, thank you so much, and it was really a treat to be here. Happy holidays. Happy, Happy holidays to you, too. Okay. Bye bye. Okay, bye. Uh, it's a Mike Novak show on Q4 Radio. We've got a very conversation coming up in the second hour of the program. I hope you stick around for that. Captain's log, started 42326.1. The Enterprise is under attack by an apparently hostile life form. Mr. Wolf, status report. They appear to be 
perambulating vegetables. We are being stalked by stalks of asparagus. That is incorrect, Mr. Warp. Mr. Data, be more specific. Asparagus officinalis, or killer asparagus, was the subject of a very popular 21st century tome by the brilliant author Mike Novak. Mike Novak. I'm familiar with his work. Of course. Attack of the Killer Asparagus is required reading at Starfleet Academy. Tell me more, Mr. Data. He has been variously compared to Mark Twain, Dave Barry, and Gwynok of Ninglador. Captain, shields are failing. Thank you, Mr. Wolf. Mr. Data, options. Captain, it seems to be available online at AroundTheBlockPress.com. AroundTheBlockPress.com. What do they have to say? Hmm. It appears that Mike Novak is a slapstick every gardener, taking all our self-delusions, mishaps, and confusions, and playing them for big laughs. That's not very helpful, Mr. Data. No, it is, however, highly accurate. The weather outside is frightful, but the fire is so delightful. And since we've no place to go, make it so, make it so, make it so. Ma'am, it doesn't show signs of stopping. And I brought me some tea, oh, very hot. The lights are turned way down low. Make it so, make it so, make it so. When we finally kiss... Good night. How I hate going out in the storm. But if you... Really? Shut up, Wesley. All the way home, I'll be... Warm. Oh, the fire is slowly dying. And I dear... We're still goodbye, then. But as long as you love me so... Make it so. Make it so. Make it so. Chicago's only locally broadcast deep green gardening and environment program. Broadcasting live every Sunday from the Genesis Art Supply Building on North Elston Avenue on Q4 Radio and at MikeNovak.net. Here he is again, Mike Novak. Merry Twistmas. Hope you're all dancing out in your kitchens. Yeah. Okay, twisting the night away. All right, let's uh, let's go to the phones and see if uh, all the. Uh oh, I think I lost a call. Who have I got left there? Who's on the phone? Kevin Sullivan. Hey, Kevin. Uh, Karen, are you there? You're not there. All right. Oh dear. Uh, we, she was there a second ago, so I know I can add her to the list. And there's uh, her number. Yep, that's the one. Let's do that. The wonders of Skype. Ah, uh, yeah. We're probably going to hear it ring here. Uh, and the wonders of pirate radio. <laughs> Hello. Oh, hi. There you go. Are you still there, Kevin? Yes, I am. All right. We got Woo-hoo. you both. That's great. All right. It's a, it's a pleasure to have both of you on the show. Of course, Karen Hudson. Uh, and if you go to my website, MikeNovak.net, uh, M-I-K-E-N-O-W-A-K dot net. It's very interesting because last week 
I was on Chicago Tonight. Um, I got interviewed by Eddie Aruza um, in an, our, a story they did about recycling in Chicago and why Chicago can't recycle, because I've been following that for more than a decade, and I was uh, president of the Chicago Recycling Coalition for a while, and so he came to me and he interviewed me about that. And, um, and then uh, that aired this past Tuesday, and I posted it at the Mike Novak Show on Facebook if you want to see that video. Uh, however, in the video, they spelled my name wrong. Uh, and uh, it wasn't crazy about that, but, uh, you know, because you think, you would think, uh, and I guess, uh, Karen, both you and uh, Kevin would have uh, ex- experience with this before. Sometimes the, the basic stuff doesn't get reported right. Um, and uh, so anyway, that's just, that's, that's neither here nor there. But I wanted to tell people, net, MikeNovak.net, and if you go to this week's show, you can see the story of Karen Hudson, and it started two and a half years ago in a court case downstate Illinois. Now, what you need to know is that Karen has been on the show a number of times. She's with Illinois Citizens for Clean Air and Water. Uh, She's with the Socially Responsible Agricultural Project. We have interviewed folks from those organizations a number of times. We have covered the factory farm issue on this show forever. Um, It feels like it, but it's really only two or three years that since uh, Karen first contacted me and um, made me aware of a lot of the issues going on here. Uh, She invited us up when we did our show up in Green Bay earlier this year in September. um, Peggy and I went up there and broadcast live from a factory farm summit, which was really, really cool, Karen. Um, And you told me something really kind of neat the other day, which is that uh, apparently uh, the folks up there appreciated our efforts to come up and broadcast the show. Yes, we we had quite a few positive comments about your participation um, in our very first summit, so we hope to do some future work together with you. That sounds great. We'd be happy to do that. Um, So this is Karen's background. She has been on the front lines fighting factory farms, and that's because you're a farmer yourself, and you ended up down the road from one of those. Do you want to give that, that real brief history of your own story? Right. Well, uh, actually, this this goes back long before Mike and I became acquainted. We're talking about uh, late summer of 1996, um, where we found out that a large-scale uh, animal feeding operation, or CAFO, was coming into our rural community um, in Peoria County. That's when this entire saga in my life started. And um, we learned on the run. We learned to be scientists, sociologists. Um, we learned how to participate more in the in the political process in Illinois. And um, we learned a lot over the years. And since then, these facilities are being located all over the state of Illinois. Yeah, and, and, and unfortunately, they're aided by a very bad law that got passed in Illinois right after you got involved. I think it was 1997, right? Right. Um, I was appointed by my local representative, uh, Mike Smith, to be a part of what was called the Illinois Livestock Advisory Committee. The House-Senate Joint Livestock Advisory Committee was, uh, we were, we set forth to examine the Illinois law and make recommendations and changes. And that committee became very popular and was a big hotspot and a very, uh, 
large area of activity with the media, and the committee was basically abolished after it was garnering so much attention, negative attention. Mm. So that kind of tells a story about what the LMFA is. We we like to call it the Leave My Factory Alone Law <laughs> instead of the Livestock Management Facilities Act. Uh, leave My Factory uh, Alone Law, um, and that passed in, what, 97? And what does it do? Why is it so destructive? Well, it... Uh, the LMFA is supposed to balance the interest of the livestock industry, which is a, which is something Illinois needs, um, with the with the community, with the health, with the public health, and the interests of the rural community, and all of Illinois. And we've found that it's it's so top heavy on the industry side that uh, people, public health, property values, um, are becoming shortchanged in the state. And you don't have to live downstate to be affected by these by this issue because one of the biggest issues now is antibiotic resistance and it's uh, the animal livestock industry is part of the whole picture of bacterial resistance and they're finding that the closer you are to one of these facilities the more likely you are to be colonized with MRSA or methicillin resistant staph mm. um, and not only does this d- does bacterial resistance uh, affect people in the rural areas but even if you're in the heart of Chicago you need to be aware of that issue. I have, I have to tell you, right now, Karen, you were uh, part of a decision I made this week. Um, I was, and we've talked about this before, I was at the dentist, all right? And I, <laughs> I had a root canal done, okay, which is not fun. Um, and when we were done, he, he, he wrote out a prescription for uh, antibiotics, and I said to the dentist, I said, do you think it's necessary? Because I, your, your words were ringing in my ears at the time because you and I have had discussions about this. And I have had, because I was in the hospital this year, I've had antibiotics. I've had a lot of antibiotics this year. Um, and I just thought, you know, if I don't need it, I don't want to take them. So I said, I said, do I, is this a prophylactic or do I have an issue? He said, well, we don't want an infection you know, you don't. You, if you get an abscess or something, I said, well, can I wait to see if I get an abscess? And if so, I'll take the antibiotics. If not, I'd rather not. He said, that's fine with me. So I didn't take them, and I did not develop any problems, and I was glad I didn't take the antibiotics. So thank you, Karen, for that information. That's a very valuable thing to mention on your show, Mike. Um, that that's a that's a common protocol in the dentist in dentistry. Um, and this past week in Scientific American, and it, it basically made press everywhere about this uh, new gene mm-hmm. that ha- gives bacteria the ability to resist one of the, we, we call it the last resort antibiotic, um, has been found on swine farms. And that is that is concern. They don't know how it got onto the swine farm. But we have said for years, when we see that 80% of the antibiotics in the United States go to animal agriculture in the absence of disease to promote growth and to act as, uh, as what, what Dennis tried to do for you, as a pro, you know, to, to give you this before you get sick. Um, this, is, this is a big concern, and uh, that's one of the reasons why we are lobbying so hard in Illinois to change the law and give citizens better protection. But the antibiotic resistance issue is an issue everybody needs to learn about. Well, and I think it's uh, – and, and I, it sounds like we have kind of gotten off on a tangent here, and we're going to get to the story in a second – uh, but this is not a tangent. This is not a tangent. 
This is actually one of the issues we're dealing with when we talk about factory farms, the overuse of antibiotics. And I think that is, you know, we talk about pollution, water pollution, and air pollution, and the quality of life issues where the stink gets so bad that you can't even live near them anymore. Um, Those are the tangibles. But as a species, we need to look to the future. We need to, we're, we're the only species that can figure out what bad stuff is going to happen to us down the road. And one of the bad things that's going to happen is if we all become resistant to antibiotics and if we get superbugs. Um, and we don't talk about that enough in terms of the factory farms. We talk about the other issues because they're much more tangible. Uh, you know, it's, it's like climate change. We know it's happening. We're, we're that species that gets to see into the future, the only one that understands that there is a future. And yet we're not acting on that either. You know, so we've got – so what will kill us first? You know, the, the, will the environment collapse? Will the, will the everything uh, – Will the superbug come Or will first? the superbug get us? Who knows? We're just sitting here. You know, we're sitting ducks waiting for something bad to happen because we refuse to act on either of them. Um, except for people like Karen Hudson. So that takes us to our story, which in this particular part of the story starts two and a half years ago because one of the things you've learned since 1996 is that people need to stand up for their own rights, and you support those people. You go in and you you help them out. And in this case, there was – where was the farm going to be built, the factory farm – uh, and what was the case about? Well, that's that's funny you should ask because um, the group that we that was filing nuisance we had no contact with. Um, they weren't they had never called me or ICCAW or, or the socially responsible ag project. They were on their own um, fighting this fighting this uh, facility that had apparently damaged their quality of life. So that is that is where I entered. I I attended as a as an observer. And and where was this court case held? Down in Scott County, Illinois. Scott County, okay. Scott County, yes. And so there was a court case, and you got no pun intended. You got wind of it. Uh, (laughs) Thank you for wait. Okay, now now I get to play. There we go. All right, that's what I meant to play before. (laughs) And uh, thanks, Karen. And so you got wind of it, and you you went to court to to support the folks uh, in their nuisance case against the planned factory farm. What well, happened? I went. Yes, uh, I, go, go I ahead. attended to, to learn more about the issue. Um, I'm not an attorney, uh, but I am a citizen, and I was very interested in how that was going to play out. And it was fairly close to where I live, so we attended that day. My husband and I both attended, and. Um, we we basically went to listen and to learn. And and what happened that day? <laughs> <laughs> well, that day, what I remember the most about that day is that my husband put a call into my two grown children and said, "Mom got thrown in jail today," and <laughs> they said, <laughs> "You've got to be kidding! What did Mom do? She would you know, she, this is not real. Dad, stop! Stop! This is a joke." And Dad said, "No, this is not a joke. This, you know, this is serious, and we don't know why." Uh, but Mom got thrown in jail. We walked into the courtroom. Um, Mom was in there just 
So 45 minutes or so, and after lunch was called up to the judge with another person, Susan Turner, and we weren't allowed to speak. We weren't allowed to, to explain, um, and we were handcuffed and taken away. Um, what did you do that was, that was so that, that heinous? Was, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we were charged with direct contempt in that uh, the judge had heard secondhand through uh, opposing counsel that we were handing out things in the courtroom and that we our intent was to um, tamper with the jury, which, which was nowhere near the truth. And I can, I can let Kevin go on with that. He's the expert here on the legal mm-hmm. issue side of it. But on, on my side of it, as a social, <laughs> the social part of it, it was, uh, it was frightening. It was damaging. I knew that, you know, after 20 years of working on this issue, I have seen people be um, intimidated in so many ways. And this was the ultimate. And here I was, after 20 years, the target of intimidation. There you and, go. Yeah. And ro- a wrongful a wrongful situation. All right. Well, let's let's go to uh, Kevin Sullivan. He's a, a Peoria attorney. Um, why did the judge? Oh, and by the way, uh, you should know that this is all outlined. This was actually published in a book. This story uh, two years ago. Something called Pigtails: An Omnivore's Quest for Sustainable Meat by Barry Estabrook. Um, and I have a link to that. Uh, on my website, MikeNovak.net, if you go to this week's show. And I also have several paragraphs that he writes from the book, uh, that, well, that he wrote in the book, and that I, that I, I lifted and put there, and, and my excuse is I want people to go and buy the book. So I hope that's a, a fair trade. Um, and uh, I guess uh, <laughs> uh, Kevin will tell me whether I'm in trouble here. Um, but... Um, uh, he describes this scene in the courtroom. Kevin uh, Sullivan, what was going on with the judge at, at that point uh, in terms of Karen? Why why did he slap her in handcuffs? Well, what, what happened was, and I wasn't there, and I'll be honest, I did not know Karen or Susan at this point in time, but I went back and obviously recreated what occurred on April 1st of 2014. What happened was... During the morning, um, the, or the previous week, uh, I think the in the underlying nuisance suit, it took the the parties several days to pick a jury, and they met the jury the week or so before, so they were starting opening statements that morning. The plaintiff who was suing the the uh, representing the aggrieved parties against in the nuisance case, the plaintiff's attorney gave his opening statement. The court broke at noon. The afternoon, the defense attorney said to the judge, oh, we have this serious matter. I've learned from another person that there were people here, and I think he used the term infiltrating the courtroom, handing out literature sympathetic to the, like, the SRAP organization and the environmental organization and things like that. And the judge just went somewhat crazy. He, the judge said, we're going to find this out. Nobody's coming down here and tamper with this jury. We're going to have a fair trial. We're going to do all this. The judge said, we're going to investigate. We're going to investigate. All of a sudden, somebody said, well, there were these two ladies that we said that were here earlier today, and we think they're the ones who are handing out this literature. Well, the judge continued to investigate. He uh, isolated the jury in the jury room. He started questioning the attorneys. He started asking the plaintiff's attorneys, 
if they were familiar with these people that were in the defense attorneys kind of prodding the judge along, suggesting the plaintiff's attorneys put them up to this, which there was no truth to that whatsoever. So they finally determined, well, here are the two ladies, and after, I would say probably, and I'm, I'm going from transcript time, but probably about a, a half an hour, 45 minutes later, the judge called the Susan and Karen down before the bench, berated them, scolded them, threatened them with prison, and said, you are in direct criminal contempt of this court and ordered the sheriff to take him to jail until they posted $500. And there was not a complete investigation. This did not occur. What, uh, first of all, nothing improper occurred, in my opinion. But uh, whatever did occur, or whatever the judge thought occurred, did not occur in his presence. And he was off base finding them in direct criminal contempt of court. Hmm. That would need to have happened. Would it had to have happened uh, right in the courtroom, or could it happen outside the courtroom if uh, he were uh, on solid legal ground? If 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 the disturbance or the situation occurred before the judge, where he could see it, and he could take what they call judicial notice of it, he can find people. A judge can in direct criminal contempt and sanction them or punish them immediately. If it occurs outside of his presence, if he doesn't know about it, or he can't see it, or he has to put facts together, investigate, what have you, then it's not direct. It could be indirect, but it's not direct. That's so, the difference. So it sounds like, uh, you know, and I, and believe, believe me, I know nothing about uh, uh, being a lawyer or being in court <laughs> or anything like that. Um, hearsay, you know, you hear that on television all the time. Oh, that's just hearsay. But it sounds like somebody planted a bug in the judge's ear, and uh, for some reason he was a little testy and uh, went ballistic. Absolutely. Oftentimes we call it double hearsay because the attorney didn't even see it. He heard it from somebody, and then he relayed it to the judge, so it's even once removed from, uh, even twice removed now from the judge. Nobody knows who actually advised the attorney of this information, and uh, there was, uh, and ultimately... Uh, Karen and Susan did absolutely nothing wrong. I think Karen saw somebody she knew, the Blondwin organization, very subtly before court started that morning, said, I've got this pamphlet I think you're interested in, handed it to the person, sight or a cover unseen, that person put it away. That was the extent of what occurred. A juror said, uh, one juror when questioned said, I saw somebody handing a book to somebody, but I didn't pay any attention to it, and I never saw the title of the book. No, it did not influence anything I'm doing here. And then the following day, the judge on his own motion declared a mistrial, and all the work that had been done since 2010 on this case by both sides was all for naught, and they were going to have to go back and retry the case at a later date. Oh, my goodness. So that's four years down the drain right there of legal legal proceedings. Because, And by the way, this is public knowledge. The judge's name is Judge David Cherry of the Seventh Circuit Court of Illinois. And it's in this book that I I mentioned before, um, uh, the... um, an omnivore's quest, uh, pigtails, an omnivore's quest for sustainable meat by Barry Estabrook. Uh, so, so you get thrown in jail, uh, Karen, um, and I assume you got you raised bail fairly quickly. Yes, <laughs> and, and got your uh, yeah. I, I I was once thrown in jail for parking tickets, and I had to raise six hundred bucks. So you actually did better than I did. Um, and um, uh, but uh, what? 
were the repercussions of this in your life for the next two and a half years? Um, the repercussions were that uh, anyone involved in a legal case, really, if you need to talk about this, call my attorney. Um, it was, it was, it, it did affect me um, in that I wasn't allowed to talk about it, and today I am talking about it. That's probably the biggest thing. Yeah, you wouldn't, um, you wouldn't talk to me about it. You, 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 you know, you told me there was something going on. There's a legal case. I can't really talk about it. You did show me the book, so I had a, a, a kind of an idea, and you, you refused to come on the show and talk about it. And I said, okay, I get it, I get it. It's still you know, pending. So um, I was just waiting patiently un- until something uh, was resolved. And then you wrote to me this week and your, your, your subject line on your email was a great day. It was a great day. <laughs> so it was a great day. So um, let's, uh, I let, think it would uh, go ahead. I was just going to have uh, Kevin explain what happened, why it was a great day. And then I want you to comment on it. Okay, Karen. Sure. Uh, Kevin. So what happened this week? Uh, Mike, let me. Do, it's, I got to go back before this week to kind of set it up a little bit. No problem. Um, after Karen and Susan were found to be in direct criminal contempt and essentially convicted of that, which is deemed a criminal offense, one of the plaintiff's attorneys, knowing that primarily my practice, I concentrate on criminal defense, and this attorney was from Peoria, contacted me and said, I want you to get involved in this. We need your help down here in Scott County. So I got together with Karen, I got together with Susan, and the organization, SRAP, the executive director, Danielle Diamond, contacted me and said, would you be involved in this? Would you represent them? And I said, yes, I would. And I think this probably was about April 2nd or 3rd of 2014. So uh, having uh, gathered the transcripts, the, the, the pleadings, the orders in the court, I filed a motion to vacate those direct criminal contempt findings against both Karen and Susan. And ultimately, I went down before Judge Cherry in Winchester, Illinois, the county seat of Scott County, and argued to the judge that he was wrong in his decision. It was not direct direct criminal contempt. I gave him case law. I filed probably about 40 pages of documents supporting our argument, and the judge took it under advisement, meaning he didn't rule on it. He said he would. Not until March of 2016 do we get, do I receive a one-line order saying the motion to vacate direct criminal contempt is denied. This is an appealable order. And based upon communications I had had along the way with this judge, and I had appeared before him on this a matter of several times in various different capacities, um, I got the impression the judge acknowledged, was going to acknowledge he was wrong, perhaps overreacted and was going to throw this out, and then he waited so long, he just said, no, I'm going to keep these findings. So then um, we took it to the 4th District Appellate Court. That's uh, that uh, that's uh, located in Springfield, Illinois. I file what they call a brief in support of our position, and we went to argument this week on Wednesday. We went to the, the court initially said, we're going to dispense with oral argument, meaning they were just going to decide the case on the written brief that was filed. One of the judges said, no, I want oral argument on this. This is an important case. So I went down, and Karen and her husband Rocky were there this week, and Danny Diamond was was there. Went down to the appellate court this past Wednesday morning, presented the case to the three-judge panel, I guess three-justice panel is what technically in Springfield, 
After about uh, 15 or so minutes of argument, I concluded my remarks. I answered a few questions from the court. The three judges got together and kind of huddled on the bench, and they said, uh, uh, Mr. Sullivan, are your clients here? I said, well, Judge One is here. The other one couldn't make it. Susan lives up in northwestern Illinois or, or around Dubuque, I think, and she couldn't make it because of some other issues. She, he said, well, you might want to call your other client right away, and I'm going, what? Or where are we going with this? He said, because we are from the bench ruling that these convictions are vacated, they're reversed, and this matter is now dismissed and finalized out. We'll issue an order to support, uh, in support of this at a later date. Amazing. So that was the good news. And, and never in, in, in uh, my 30 years of practicing law uh, and having talked to a number of other attorneys, has anybody ever had an appellate court rule from the bench they always take it under advisement, mm -hmm. typically 30, 60 days later. You either get an opinion or an order from the court, which explains and decides the case, and then you it's either over or you have further things to do in the case. Never have they pronounced it from the bench and, that I'm aware of, and it was uh, kind of caught me by surprise. I was stunned and uh, actually had to ask twice. Uh, so <laughs> I wasn't sure I heard it correctly. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it was, it was a very good feeling, and I think the appellate court, even that further validated our position that the trial judge was wrong, he was off base, his reaction was incorrect, and uh, in fact it was not any form of contempt whatsoever based upon uh, the way that uh, we described the situation to the appellate court. I guess my next question is, is this the end of the story? I mean, where, where did, uh, well, there's one other part of this that uh, you mentioned, uh, you and I had a little chat yesterday, Kevin. You said that the case that was declared a mistrial two years ago came up again this year. What happened in that case? Is I wasn't, I was not there for that trial, but I believe it started the first week of May of this year. And as I understand it, the uh, jury came back with a verdict in favor of the animal confinement uh, parties, not the people suing on behalf and uh, be alleging the nuisance. No and surprise. that was obviously disappointing to a lot of people, yeah. especially Karen, Susan, and members of their organization. Who went and to jail for this? Quite surprised. Yeah. You know, and, and that's, that just shows you the complexity of all of this. I mean, the, the, the uh, contempt charge is vacated. So, yay, it's a victory. However, the, uh, the CAFO gets to be built anyway. And the plaintiffs, the people, which are the ordinary citizens who are saying our, our quality of life is going to be turned upside down by this. And this facility might be a danger to people uh, lose in court. So, you, Karen, you must have mixed feelings about this. Well, first of all, the, the CAFO was already built and they had been experiencing um, a degraded quality of life for some time. So this wasn't a case where they were opposing a facility. This facility was already up and operating and causing quite a bit of misery in these folks' oh, lives. Oh, boy. Um, yeah. Uh, so that, and, you know, it, in the big picture, um, you know, back in 1997, 1996, I was part of a 57, 57 folks in Families Against Rural Messes signed in in Knox County at the courthouse in, down in uh, western Illinois uh, to speak at a hearing. It was a, a county board meeting, um, and someone got those names, our names, to the pork industry, and 57 of us were filed with a flap suit, uh, which is a suit that would silence legal part citizen part participation. 
And that was our first taste of um, the issue legally, uh, socially, the social impacts of this and political impacts hit us hard very quickly. That suit was eventually dropped. Um, we fought that facility all the way to the Supreme Court and lost in Illinois. But I'm, I see this happen every day to other citizens across the country, and it's basically a carbon copy of things that are happening to so many other folks who are trying to uh, navigate through political channels and through legal channels to address this whole issue. Um. I hardly know where to start on this because what what well and we only have a, a couple more minutes but what we're what we're talking about here and Kevin you know this this is people these are people with deep pockets mm-hmm. they can take a person like Karen they can hold the lawsuit over her head like uh, the, the 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 contempt uh, case or the other one she just mentioned um, and you and. They don't care. They've got the money. They can throw this at the average citizen, and the average citizen has no recourse uh, except to try to fight it, but they don't have the money, and sometimes they settle because they don't have that money, and they don't have the time, and they want their lives back. Uh, have you, You've seen this, I imagine, over and over again, Kevin. Oh, absolutely, and I, and I think in this particular case, um, what occurred after the contempt finding uh, was in, in this particular situation in Scott County was absolutely incredible because the defense attorney accused all the plaintiff's attorneys of being in bed, so to speak, with the with these organizations and, and trying to get Karen and Susan to dis, uh, accuse them of getting Karen and Susan to attempt to disrupt these proceedings. So they had months and months of depositions in court hearings the defense attorney dragging this, dragging all them back and forth to Scott County, and I can't tell you. I would say it was almost a year of uh, of additional litigation that ended up going nowhere, and it caused the plaintiff. Some of the plaintiffs' lawyers had to get lawyers for themselves, and it was just a debacle. It was absolutely, and the judge let this go on, and and Karen was deposed in open court, uh, Susan was deposed in open court. And there was nothing that came out to suggest any sort of uh, relationship between SRAP, Karen Susan, Danny Diamond, and the plaintiff's attorneys, other than they may have seen each other once at some type of a conference or knew of each other or maybe said hi at one point in a hallway in the courthouse. Mm. But no collusion, nothing like that, and the judge let this go on and on and on didn't rule on these issues, I don't think, uh, until the time of trial uh, this past May. Well, and it was a complete, uh, it was a complete side issue what, uh, uh, whatsoever. It, was, uh, it had nothing really to do with the, uh, with the nuisance suit. Uh, it makes you I, wonder. Go ahead, Karen. I'd like to add something. Um, over the years, it's not just citizens that are, that are being intimidated. Um, someone of, one of my mentors recently passed um, Dr. Steve Wing from University of North Carolina in Chapel Hill. He was one of the first researchers on the scene researching the social and environmental impacts of CAFOs. And years ago, uh, when Steve published his first, one of his first studies, um, by that after, by late that afternoon, attorneys from the pork industry were in his office threatening to sue him. So. This is this is something that happens to citizens. Uh, it's very important for folks to know that it happens to the research 
the research sector for, for folks at doing research on this issue have their own stumbling blocks to go over because here they are being threatened when they publish research um, supporting some of these facts. So um, we're seeing intimidation everywhere. One of my, one of the folks we work with just told me some things have been stolen from their yard last week. Um, we've had folks with shots fired at their homes, um, letters, threats, dead animals in their mailboxes. Um, you know, this is the type of thing that folks who are working on this issue are seeing on a daily basis across the country. Unbelievable. What about uh, what about court costs for this uh, case that went on for uh, two and a half years? Yeah. Well, the court costs were were probably very high. I don't know the exact amount, but um, the mental costs, the strain, the stress, uh, the loss of work, it all adds up. It all adds up. Of course, it does. Um, in one in 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 one of the eastern states, folks were 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 asked, "What's what's your biggest concern about issues in North Carolina?" And they ra- they said that uh, livestock livestock confinements were a bigger threat to them than escalating taxes or crime in their neighborhoods. So um, all around, uh, everyone everyone's concerned about this. It's costly in terms of social impacts. I see that on a daily basis with, with folks. Um, and it's and, that we're, we're not going to back off on. Yeah, and it's, and, you know, it's not just the facilities there. They're enabled by the legal system. And in Illinois, they're enabled by a really, really, really bad law in place uh, that, that's got to be fixed. It's just got to be changed. It's, it's people, you know, we've talked about it on this show over and over about how you can you can have a board of a county uh, vote not to have the uh, uh, the CAFO built in their county. And then the uh, Department of Ag turns around and says, oh, thanks for your vote. We're going to build it anyway. And that's the way it yeah. works. Um, it's something called local control that we have no we have no say. There's no local control. So you're correct. Um, to, as far as we know. Uh, no facility has ever been turned down, and every facility where every county where a county board has voted against it, saying that it does not meet the criteria, it has it has proceeded. Yeah. So we're you know, that's that's one of the things we're working on. Another thing we are working on is that the fact that the Illinois Environmental Protection Agency does not have a total accounting for all the CAFOs in the state, and. Both yeah, which is amazing. I mean, that's, yeah, that's they don't even have a number. They, they they can't even give you a number. They can't even tell you. Or where are they? I don't know. We re- yeah, we recently met with the federal EPA in Chicago within the last two weeks. Oh, good luck with that in the um, next four years, by the way. <laughs> well, years ago, we, we filed a, a citizen suit uh, because the IEPA in Illinois was not enforcing the Clean Water Act. And one of, one of the parts of that act is they need to have an accounting of all these CAFOs. So what we did is uh, we have a graduate student assistant working for us mapping these CAFOs in Illinois. And, for example, when we're, when we're, when we're trying to uh, get an accounting, we're seeing that in some, in some counties the IEPA may, may have an accounting for eight, and here we're finding 15. Um, they may see six. We're finding 14 in another. We're only finding about a 43% accounting for the 33 or 34 counties that we have already looked at in the mm, state of Illinois. Unbelievable. So we've gone as citizens and done our own accounting. We need to know where these are at, and we have a place within the Clean Water Act to ask 
the, uh, to ask for this to be done. There's a place within the Queen o Clean Water Act where citizens can actually file a suit. So when we did that, the federal EPA investigated the Illinois Environmental Protection Agency. So the feds investigated due to our request, and they got a failing grade, and that made national news. So these are the things we're working on. We're working within the law. Um, everyone that I work with works within the law, and we are we have the moral and legal high ground we're, we're we try to do the right thing and uh, this whole thing that happened in court was just something that was totally blown out of proportion and it was just something thrown in our way to to slow us down well, of course of course a roadblock well it's a good thing you have people like kevin sullivan on your team uh and i want to thank uh, both of you peoria attorney kevin sullivan karen hudson from Illinois Citizens for Clean Air and Water and uh, Socially Responsible Agricultural Project. Uh, this is not the end of it, obviously. This, this is going to continue to go on, and we're going to continue to report on it, and that's, that's the way it goes. You just you put one foot in front of the other, and you get some victories like you did this week. Congratulations on having that uh, case dismissed. And, uh, Kevin, thank you for your good work and, and springing Karen. <laughs> Well, you know, one, one thing I can add to go back to that, you're talking about that law's got to be changed. The law also provides that if you sue a CAFO and if the CAFO, CAFO wins, the CAFO can come back against the plaintiffs for their attorney's fees. Oh. The law does not say if the CAFO loses, the other side can go after attorney's fees. So it's a definitely a one-sided law that needs, if not uh, repealed, uh, at least modified or greatly adjusted. You're, so make, is, you're making me want to weep here. Yeah. Okay, go ahead. Uh, mm -hmm. if, if people want to try and start changing this, doing something about it, is there someone they can write to? How do they get involved? How do they make their voice heard? Well, Illinois Citizens for Clean Air and Water in Illinois is working on this issue, and we're, we're working towards some legislation this spring it's very hard to get uh, folks to support our elected officials to support us. So, but we're going for that, and we're, we're going to try and change some of the key things in the Illinois law. And all they have to do is go to the ICCAW website or contact me, Karen Hudson, at SRAProject.org. It's, it's yeah, go to as easy as that. ICCAW.org is one right. place you can go, and the other is SRA Project. Dot or org, right. uh, either one, and uh, that'll get you in the right direction. We're flat out of time. Thank you so much, both of you, for agreeing to be on the show this morning. And, you know, I know we're going to be talking soon. So uh, uh, good luck in the future, and congratulations again to both of you. Always Thank good you. to be on your show, Mike. Thank you so much. I love talking Likewise. to you, Karen. And uh, send me the 20 or 30 emails tomorrow. That would be really great, Karen. <laughs> that would be wonderful. Okay. <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll talk later. Take care. Have a great Sunday. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you. It's the Mike Novak Show on Q4 Radio. Wow. Is that an amazing story or what? Mm -hmm. And it just goes on and yeah, on. Yeah, and the fact that it just ended. Yeah, this week. Without, But also without drama. Just, oh, never mind. Yeah, and we're done. Okay. Yeah, we just wasted two and a half years of your life. Huh. Okay. Moving on to the other stuff. All right. Now, here's some advice for all of our listeners who are planning on growing things indoors this winter. Not all LEDs are created equal. For instance, the Happy Leaf folks use Osram LEDs, and that separates their 
the, uh, the light from virtually all of the low-cost grow lights that are currently on the market. Here's what I mean. It's five times more powerful than a T5 fluorescent bulb. T5s only seeds and minimally support some growth, but the Happy Leaf light is an all-purpose LED with precisely tuned red and blue spectrums that allow the full range of plant growth. Now, you're going to ask me, why doesn't it cost more money? Uh, Well, they sell directly to consumers. It helps Happy Leaf to price it within reach of you, the gardener who wants to grow stuff indoors. Like poinsettias. You're right. Maybe poinsettias. Get it for a friend. Get it for yourself. Go to happyleafled.com for complete kits. This is the cool part. They'll get you up and growing in a matter of minutes. It's these little pots and little clay pellets and and boom boom shakalakalaka and you're up happy leaf led it's about the light did you know that genesis is the midwest's largest source of airbrush supplies find out more at chicagoairbrushsupply.com or artsupply.com or you can stop into their showroom at 2525 north elston and say that you heard about them on q4 radio or the mike novak show and you'll get an extra 10 percent off their already discounted prices Genesis, Chicago's only privately owned art supplier, serving all of Chicago's artistic framing and drafting needs since 1946. Rick DeMaio and Snowmageddon coming up next. Spending more time at home these days? Give yourself some room. Renovate your basement or attic. You'll increase your living space and your home's resale value, too. Trust DR Services Unlimited, 847-998-1687 for your remodeling needs, including additions, renovations, and other home improvements. Rated A-plus by the Better Business Bureau and recommended on Angie's List. DR is a proud member of NARI. DR provides exceptional quality at a fair price. Contact DR at 847-998-1687 or at RestoreTheNorthShore.com. This is Mike Novak for Chicago Wilderness in my own Logan Square Wilderness. You can friend a person on social media, but how do you friend a native plant or animal that is in danger of going extinct, like the monarch butterfly or Blanding's turtle or the little brown bat? 12 Animals in 12 Weeks is a campaign to support critical species and their habitats in our region. Friend an animal species today. Go to chicagowilderness.org species. Did you know Chicagoans are getting healthier all the time? Hi, I'm Peggy, and I know this is true because for six years I've been publishing Natural Awakening, Chicago's greenest and healthiest magazine. And if you want your message to reach this growing market, you do need to get your business in front of our readers. Why? Because our advertisers tell us that our targeted readers are committed to improving their health and ready to take action. That's more than 80,000 people in Chicagoland who will respond to your message. They're looking for holistic wellness practitioners, integrative doctors and dentists, nutritionists, health coaches, yoga instructors, even home improvement and landscape experts. Natural Awakenings is a free monthly magazine available in more than 1,100 locations throughout Cook, Lake, and McHenry counties. Call me today to expand your market and grow your business. 847-858-3697. That's 847-858-3697. Natural Awakenings. Feel good. Live simply. Laugh more. I'm spending Hanukkah in Santa Monica, wearing sandals, lighting candles by the sea. I spent Shavuos in East St. Louis, a charming spot, but clearly not the spot for me. 
Those eastern winters, I can't endure them. So every year I pack my gear and come out here till Purim, Rosh Hashanah, I spend in Arizona. And Yom Kippur way down in Mississippi. But in December, there's just one place for me. Amid the California flora, I'll be lighting my menorah like a baby in his cradle. I'll be playing with my dreidel, spending Hanukkah in Santa Monica by the sea. I'm spending Hanukkah in Santa Monica, wearing sandals, lighting candles by the sea. I spent Shavuos in East St. Louis, a charming okay, spot, folks. but not the spot for me. All right, let's try this one. Good morning, Peggy. <clears throat> All right. You guys enjoying our, uh, our second snow in, in a matter of a week? Woo-hoo. It is. It's, uh, this is the first real snow. Um... Yeah, well, last week was a real snow for a lot of people. Yeah, well, I guess, yeah. But, uh, you know, this is the one that everybody was saying, Armageddon, Snowmageddon, whatever. And, uh, well, oh, yeah, I love I heard those words. But, um, uh, yeah, well, we're still waiting for this um, second the, the second system to kind of roll through the, uh, the bottom part of what we call the upper trough. Uh, the first one came through last night, and then we've had this break. Now there's the second one, but um, I don't know. There's a lot of lot of signs showing that the second one is coming through with a little bit less vigor, and these are always these are always tough when you're trying to phase, you know, two different systems, and both of them are kind of, you know, trying to. It's it's, it's like it's like watching those games during, you know, the breaks of like a Blackhawks or a Bulls game at the United States and seeing those M&Ms or those sausages running around. <laughs> and you see number one go, and then you know number two, then number one, and number two, and number three comes out of nowhere. Um, as Not opposed th- to just watching one, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, the bottom line is I, I sent you an update. Um, if we get maybe another two or three inches out of this, that should be about it. Really? Ah, uh, so, so much yeah. for, for the snowmageddon, huh? Well... To be honest with you, the whole the, the, the ten to twelve seemed a little high to me. I was I was like I don't know. This doesn't look like a ten to twelve. I, you know, what happens with that is you know, if you go with with a perfect forecast and, and everything works out right, which you know in these cases they never do. Right. Um. You can you can drum up twelve inches out of it, but uh, this this I don't know. Even even yesterday I was like thinking. Boy, if you get a lot with the first system and a lot with the second one, and it happens to fall in the same spot, yeah, you'll you'll get eight to nine or ten inches out of it. But um, that's only going to be across a very small area. So this is going to go down probably as a five to seven inch snowfall. Uh, we've gotten about three to four so far. I think um, a couple of places north about four. I think both O'Hare and Midway have come in with about three and a half. Uh, I'm outside right now in Evanston and. We got a solid three inches. It was actually a little bit of lightning that came through last night. I don't know if anybody saw that. I, I did not. I I missed that, and uh, I was uh, I I and I was out and about last night. I mean, I I had to go out to uh, Oakbrook to do some caroling, and right, yeah, and I, I, you mentioned, and the roads weren't too bad, were they? No, but you know, it was. You know, we were all doing about three miles an hour, uh, starting at about uh, Central. Uh, in Chicago, all the way out to uh, Oakbrook. Um, it, oh boy, yeah, it, yeah. It was, yeah. It was and, it, and that road, you never go more than 
more than four anyway, so yeah, three wasn't so exactly bad. three. It was only a, a, a mile <laughs> a per hour less than. Wait, the, you're going faster. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, but uh, but yeah, and, and you know, actually, last night after I finished um, decorating the tree, I, I went for a bike ride. <laughs> I, Are you I serious? Got on my bike. <laughs> No, I, I I took out my my Navi tire bike and I rode along the lakefront all the way to um, uh, the lagoon at Northwestern and back and it was great. My ankle still bothered me, so I didn't really want to get into my cross country ski. So I I feel bad, Peg, that I didn't include bike riding in that recent story that I wrote for you. Well, you, that can be part two. That'll be your spring yeah, that, story. That can be part two, right? Why did he did he did? He, if you don't have cross country ski the right face, you can still go bike riding. Because I used to do that when I was a kid when I delivered newspapers. Mm-hmm. Uh, I bike ride it every day. So, um, so yeah, I mean, to, to put the weather aspect more in the focus here rather than when I do if I decorate a tree, um, this is this is the, the first of probably three systems that are going to produce snow around here um, over the next seven days. The second one comes through on Wednesday. Um, at ahead of uh, the pattern is, is going through a huge realignment right now. Uh, clearly, we're in the cold weather, but now it's trying to figure out whether it's going to be more cold or or more storms. And and the storms are the things that come in underneath the big you know belly of cold air. These are the little pieces of energy that come in off the Pacific Ocean, and these always make forecasting really difficult because you end up with these things that basically run through the Cascades and the Sierras and over the Rocky Mountains, and by the time they get to you, they're all kind of shoveled or disheveled, and you're trying to figure out what to do with them two days out, and everybody tries to figure it out, and they never do. Uh, and then you end up getting three to five inches of snow. Um, but the second one uh, comes through on Wednesday with a couple of inches, followed by some very, very cold weather. Um, and then, believe it or not, an even stronger, much larger system, which I didn't get a chance to look at today. I spent much of my time looking at, you know, observations and analysis from the current stuff. You don't want to get too much in the long-term stuff. It kind of makes your brain go in two different directions. But um, we could be talking about a very, very significant, large snowstorm um, Friday into Saturday, followed by some very, very cold air, some of the coldest air we've probably seen around here in about five years. Uh, and that'll be next weekend. But um, it's... it's um, it's amazing to see how quickly you can develop snow when the pattern becomes just right for it, and we certainly have that. Yeah, I mean, we were talking, remember November? It seems like a million years ago. <laughs> that was the, 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 that warm November with the with the warm temperatures and the ground warm and everything, and suddenly, bam! Yeah, and and I didn't I didn't send this to you, but it was just released, I think, on Thursday. Uh, that the Climate Prediction Center, which also has the Climate Analysis Center in there, um, uh, they, they, they observed that the period September 1st to November 30th in the lower 48, I believe was the warmest ever, if not in the top four, which is really remarkable. Um, and I think it was just a couple of days ago when I was talking to someone about the snow, they said, was it in a, a, like a month ago when the Cubs won? I'm like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They, they won on the 2nd of November and had the parade, I think it was on like the 5th. Right. And that, that seems so long ago. It really does. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, 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 it's really amazing. So, um, yeah, you know, and then, and then you hear about, you know, what happened down in Tennessee with the, with the, you know, the two kids being potentially charged and, you know, making the matters worse, which is with the wildfires down there. Um, but, uh, 
Yeah, the, the, the odd thing about it is between that and then the recent, um, you know, wave of colder temperatures and snow, it just, just a lot of, it seems like we took a month and squeezed it into, or, or six months and squeezed it into a month. Um, and uh, that's, that's the way sometimes the weather cookie crumbles, I guess. I guess so. And I made the mistake yesterday, uh, and I know I'm beating a dead horse here. Uh, I, I'm going to lose on this one, but I don't care. Uh, I made That's the mis- right. I made I made the mistake of turning uh, on the Weather Channel just to Ooh. see what the what the forecast. You know, because I want I wanted to see some radar. I wanted to see w- what they were saying about it. And of course, they had and they were showing a show about truckers uh, uh-huh. being pulling other truckers out of roads. Right? <laughs> uh, no, they actually had a forecast. They were talking about oh, the they snow. Did. Okay. Yeah, it was in the middle because this is a named storm, and they consider this a big one, and. Uh, you know, uh, I don't know what they call it, Kalo or something. I don't have no <laughs> is, idea. Is it, is it Kalo? Is it, is Kalo? I don't know. Okay. It's it's yeah. You know, it's 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 Bupkis to me. That's the name <laughs> of the storm. Is Bupkis? I know, I know. Well, the last one was Blanche, and I immediately <laughs> thinking of the, the movie. You know, whatever happened to Baby Jane, right? That famous line. <laughs> Yep. You know, but you are Blanche. You are a winter storm. I, I think they should have had someone on the Weather Channel do that. Uh, that would have been um, great, but I, I think they'd all be fired if they did that. So uh. Probably so, but they did have a reporter um, uh, down here at Soldier Field, but it wasn't their main reporter, Mike Seidel. They had a, um, a freelancer. So this was, one of those, this was one of those named storms that's kind of half-named. You know, like it's going to affect people, but, you know, you got to remember, there's a lot of people who are going out and about for you know, holiday parties last night and trying to get Christmas shopping done. I actually sure. got my tree last night and put it up today, and I'm actually going to go up into southern Wisconsin today only because the roads look okay. And yet here you still, still see on, you know, the National Weather Service website, you know, travel not advised. But, you know, most people look outside and they go, you know, I think I can do this. Um, well, so, and- you know, the Weather Service, you know, I'm not going to nail them. They need to do what they need to do. Yeah, uh, but non-essential travel, I guess, is not is not is not advised. And well, that's probably a good thing, but um, but yeah, we're we're pretty much. I think the I think the worst of this the worst of this has kind of bypassed us. Even though there's more snow coming, it doesn't appear that's going to be as bad as what we originally thought. Well, it's snowing pretty good right now. We're looking out the window, and you can see it coming down pretty good. So it's picked up this. You know, this morning there was virtually nothing, and it was easy getting in here. Um, right, and, right. And, uh, la- and even last night, there wasn't that much snow. There might have been a couple of inches, maybe three is what I'm thinking, mm-hmm. you know, by the time I got home. Um, it wasn't it wasn't that bad. It was more the drivers yeah, who were and, acting like there was 14. It, and then yeah. now the Bears are going to be playing indoors, so it's not going to be affecting them today either. So they, um, they put in a the dome up over Soldier Field? Is that what they're doing? No, they're playing in the Detroit. Oh. Field. oh, how about Detroit? Yeah, in Detroit. Now, you said you mentioned that we, we side is sort of sides. It sideswiped us. Who's getting the brunt of this? Is anybody? Um, it, it does look like um, the, the next band of snow which comes through, which the, I think the heaviest, uh, between 3 and 4 and about 9 here, will probably intensify a little bit more so. So northern Indiana, at least northeastern Indiana, Southern areas of Michigan will probably end up getting the heaviest. Um, and it's always kind of funny because in these situations, Mike um, and Peg, uh, when you have these kind of two-part or two you know, segments of the storm, one city initially looks like they're going to get it, and everybody focuses on that and the focus on that. And next thing you know, it, it, it doesn't come together just right, 
and then the area 100 miles east gets nailed. <laughs> yeah. I've, I've seen it happen so many times. And then and then the people 100 miles east go, boy, I wish you would have seen that coming, you know? And it's just, and sometimes, you know, forecasters, they get into the mindset, and it's easy. I do it. You go to yourself, okay, I'm not going to be fooled by this. I'm not going to be, I'm not going to be swayed by this. And then you do all the scientific reasoning and all the, you know, tapping of your inner self, and you go, I'm not going to get, and then all you're really doing is forecast the difference between, you know, three tenths and six tenths of an inch of water, which isn't that big, but when it snows, it's, it's a big deal. So, um, very interesting. Mike, quickly before we go, you know, when I was down at the Rialto the other night, um, I was talking to someone who uh, farms, believe it or not, 3,200 acres of corn and soybeans mixed it up in Will County. He said, I listen to your, your weather um, on WJOL, where I do some stuff, obviously, for Lewis University. That's their kind of radio station that follows their sport. And he goes, you got to remember, when we have enough rain, stop saying that it's good that we're getting the rain. We have enough. I go, oh, sorry about that. I'm just you know, trying to you know, do my job. I go, so, by the way, can I ask you, how much is an acre worth? He goes, for me, a farming acre in Will County, I couldn't believe this, Mike, $8,500 an acre. Wow. $8,500. Now, the Dust Bowl, they were selling acres at $5.00. A bunch, right? An acre, five dollars. That brand at the dust bowl. So I did the math on my on my phone real quickly when I was walking out the door. I almost stopped. Thirty two hundred acres times eighty five hundred. You know how much money that is? Tell me. Uh, it's about twenty seven million dollars. And what are the taxes on that? Even more. <laughs> I don't. I don't even think he cares at that point what the taxes are, right? Um, and he actually said that last year was the best that he's ever had uh, from an agriculture standpoint between um, the, the, the amount of rain, the amount of temperature, you know, the amount of warmth, and he got too hot, never got too cold. And I said, well, how are, you know, how, how are some of the, you know, the, the, the GMOs and, and some of the pesticides? He goes, well, as long as it gets us more corn, that's all I care about. Hmm. And, I, and, I, and I heard that. I went, ah, I didn't want to hear that. You know, I didn't want to hear that we get a better yield because of what we're doing, you know, scientifically from not from a scientific standpoint, from a chemical standpoint. Um, and that was, and I didn't want to fuck it's obviously his product, but um, it was interesting that he talked about it from that standpoint. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, where are you, uh, where are you right now? Are you on your bicycle or what's going on? No, I'm walking to the lakefront. Okay, okay. You you had mentioned here at Soldier Field. You're not at Soldier Field, are you? No, 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 no. Um, no, I said the uh, the Weather Channel had a reporter at Soldier. Oh, okay. I I thought yeah, maybe no, you no. were because they're in Detroit. I I don't want to be the bearer of bad tidings, but they're actually in Detroit today. I just thought I'd no, let no, you. No, 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 no. I said before that the um, I, that kind of got mixed up. No, Rick, no, Rick's the, uh, trying. Rick's Rick can't figure out why there's nobody out there who's saying who needs two, who needs two. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he's, he's, he's two from last week's game. Trust me, it was good. They won. Um, <laughs> uh, so, uh, so I think you've already got to get, kind of given us a forecast. You can recap it if if you want here because it sounds like yeah, yeah, no, no problem because a lot of people could be. Um, so another two inches. I know there's been some bandings of some snow that are trying to develop and come through the area, uh, but the better chance probably after about 
I'd say maybe three o'clock or so. Uh, so another another couple of you know three or four hours. That'll last for about three or four hours. We'll probably get about two or three inches out of it. So um, total storm or total amount for the storm probably about five to seven inches. Um, that's about that's about three inches less than what we're expecting. Again, that's only you know three tenths of an inch of water, which isn't much. So when when people say how come we didn't get that much, I go, well, it's that much water, and that's not easy to predict. Um, and, and now it uh, looks like we dry out nicely Tuesday, Monday and Tuesday. Uh, temperatures generally probably in the low to mid-20s, not as cold originally because the second one uh, kind of bends the atmosphere um, upwards, or I should say northward. So we'll get another little shot of snow, maybe one to two um, early Wednesday mornings, and then the real strong cold air comes through. Um, very, very robust system, uh, probably highs only in the single digits. Uh, lows below zero. That'll be for um, late Wednesday night, Thursday, and parts of Friday. And then I still haven't looked at the extended stuff, but Friday night into Saturday, uh, significant snow comes through. And this could be a big one followed by a lot of cold weather. So whatever snow we have on the ground right now ain't going anywhere anytime soon. Uh, well, I'm glad I got my, uh, my holiday lights up yesterday, uh, just in time. Yeah, and, and any more any more caroling for you outside? Oh yeah, oh yeah. There'll be plenty. I mean, I got two more. I got two more weeks of this stuff, so it's going to be uh, kind of interesting, especially if there's more snow and more cold. We'll see how that yeah, goes. The frozen, the frozen sparrows, is that what you call your the time? frozen robins? And we are the frozen robins. Okay, definitely going to be frozen. There's no doubt about that. You, you moved you moved up the bird ladder. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, moving up the bird ladder. All right, Rick. You know, and, oh yeah. And, Go ahead. And, and real quickly, um, if if anybody is interested, I'm I'm going to pitch a story to Peg about, you know, maybe the next um, story is, you know, how to how to what you know what to do with, with pets, and how to keep our urban animals happy when we get into, you know, cold and snow like this. Think about it. All the all the foraging that the squirrels were doing just about two weeks ago is gone. Um, you know, how do you handle? You know, feeding them in a, in a sustainable manner, and are you feeding them the right food? And also about pets. So let's see if that's something that Peg wants to chew on and have me do some research on, and I can report back to her. Sounds good, Rick. Let's there talk. you go. There's a there's a report. So and, it, and it's all because you call yourself a frozen robin, Mike. It's all be. <laughs> <laughs> I only do it a couple of months of the year, so that's that's uh, and thaw what out the rest of the year. Exactly. Um, all right, Mr. DeMaio, Rick DeMaio, meteorologist. Thank you so much. Enjoy your walk, and uh, we'll look forward to snow and cold because <laughs> it's a, it's December in Chicago. That's what. Yeah, and, and this is going to be. This is like January and December, so we we switch from from November. From September to November to January and December, we can't get on months right. Yeah, those sandhill cranes knew when to come through and get the heck out of here. I guess they did. They knew what was happening. Yeah. All right. All right. All right. Well, I'll be updating you both over the weekend. I'll talk to you next Sunday. All right. Thanks, Rick. Bye, Take Rick. care. Bye bye. Well, I'm glad we got the uh, workaround. The workaround to write uh, to work. The workaround to work to what? To who? Well, part of the problem is the. Windows keyboard on a Mac. Is that part what the problem, the problem is? Yes, that was part of the problem. We had a Windows keyboard, and that's why. Yeah, we had the um, the Skype froze. Basically, fro- it froze. It wouldn't. It wouldn't close. So you 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 don't want to know how <laughs> I just hooked up uh, to Mr. DeMaio here. Mike's standing on one foot, holding his hand there, out the window. I got my tinfoil hat on. 
Uh, and I also have... Real butter. Okay, I just had to uh, throw had that. Had to get that in. Yeah, I had to get that in. So let's go to the end of this so we can get the heck out of here. All right. want to thank everybody on the show today. Uh, Steve Bailey from the Illinois Natural History Survey. Gene Bragdon from Lurvy Garden Center or Lurvy Landscape Supply or whatever you're calling it these days. Karen Hudson, Illinois Citizens for Clean Air and Water and Socially Responsible Agricultural Project. Peoria Attorney Kevin Sullivan, Rick DeMaio, Peggy Malecki, and Natural Awakenings Magazine. Got anything else there? No, I think it's time to go make some snowballs and throw them around <laughs> the neighborhood. All right, good. go green or go home. Stadler? Uh, what? Is that it? Yes, it's over. How'd you like it? I don't know. I slept through the whole thing. Well, you didn't miss much.